tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Good morning and welcome to Thursday's Tip Today. Coming up on this morning's show, parts of Cork hit by devastating flooding. Listeners share their views on the assisted dying bill. NCT delays and the newly proposed penalty points legislation. How Ireland has changed in the last 50 years. Everything from baby names to getting married and the cost of groceries. Can objects and even clothing be haunted? We speak to Cecilie Gilligan, a lady who's been researching the rich world of Irish folk cures for almost 40 years. Muriel Cuddy will be in studio to chat to us about seasonal eating. We'll also have a taste of this week's Down Your Way and the latest farming news with Katrina Morrissey of the Farmer's Journal. That's all to come between now and 12 o'clock today. The phone line is open 1800 or you can text or WhatsApp 83 now, the story dominating the papers this morning, of course, are pictures from across, particularly Middleton and areas of East, East Cork, which were hit by serious flooding last night and yesterday. Town centres, homes, businesses and even hospitals across the region are today facing a mammoth clean-up after Storm Babe brought a month's rainfall in just one day. Devastating footage of the flooding has been circulating all over social media. And Southern correspondent with the Irish Independent, Ralph Regal, joins me on the line. Now, Ralph, good morning. Good morning. Good to talk to you this morning, Ralph. We knew that this area was under an orange warning yesterday and that flooding was possible, but was anyone predicting what actually happened? No, and I think there's a lot of questions um, will be asked in the wake of this. And certainly there's a lot of people in Middleton are wondering why this wasn't a status red warning, given the scale of damage that was caused. And clearly in cases that the threat to life uh, you're talking about the evacuation of homes. You're talking about water levels that came up um, halfway up the side windows of some cars. You're talking well over a metre of water in the main street. Um, ferocious uh, currents and torrents in some places. Um, some hillsides in Cork actually saw waterfalls created, such was the power of the water. In other cases, roads subsided. We also saw landslides, <coughs> significant damage, <coughs> not just to property, but to roads and utilities. And it's going to be several days before we see a full assessment of that. And I suppose just to put into context, I mean, the thought was that Middleton would get about 100 millimetres of rainfall in just over 24 hours. That's a month's worth of rain. In actual fact, the estimates are that roughly around 130 millimetres of rainfall fell. Wow. What's the situation there this morning? Uh, really, today is all about the cleanup and the assessment of the damage. And um, there are still floodwaters in parts of Middleton, significant damage to properties. Uh, just to give you an example, one local supermarket had virtually their entire stock floating um, around the aisles. In other cases, there's significant flood damage to uh, business premises, electrical systems, uh, homes have been very badly damaged. The estimate is that over 100 properties in Middleton alone have been damaged. And we're not just talking about flooding in Middleton. There was bad flooding in Castle Martyr, yeah. Killa, uh, Rathcormick and North Cork. If you go to West Cork, uh, the N71 road by Ross Carberry was blocked. You've got significant flooding uh, in Halfway, 
in Castletown Bear. Glanmire was very badly hit. And one story there is that Glanmire, the, the local GA club, just won a county title. Yeah. And they actually had to open up the GA pitch so that it could be used as a floodplain in a desperate bid to try and ease the torrents that were sweeping through local streets and housing estates. And videos of that are up on social media and they are just incredible. It kind of makes you wonder if the flood relief work that was carried out previously in areas like Blackpool and more recently the work in the Dunkettle, is there any suggestion that this may have led to what happened? Um, I think there's going to be a very careful assessment of precisely what's involved here. I think the word that was on everybody's lips yesterday was climate change. Um, Cork itself is a very low-lying city, but miraculously, the worst of the flooding was in the county rather than in the city. Mm. Now, there was flooding in Cork uh, by the South Terrace and by the North Keys and in Blackpool, but I suppose if you look at it, the, the three towns that traditionally would have suffered from the worst flooding in Cork would have been uh, Mallow and Fermoy on the River Blackwater and Bandon in West Cork. And yet flood relief schemes in those three towns, they, they escaped virtually unscathed yesterday. Yeah. So I suppose what we're looking at is, number one, assessing the ongoing threat posed by climate change and dramatic weather-related events like this. And secondly, just how much money are we going to have to invest in protecting some of our more vulnerable um, communities from this type of, of, of thing going forward. I, mean, like, I remember 10 years ago uh, being in Middleton, just over 10 years ago, and there was a very, very bad flood. And back then there was talk about various relief schemes and whatever, and yet Middleton is now facing the worst flooding and, and, and flood damage in living memory. And the problem for a lot of businesses there is because they were on a floodplain already, a lot of them weren't able to get insurance. So what's going to happen to them now? That's a very good question, and I, I don't think anyone has the answer to it. Um, certainly a lot of traders who would have already been struggling, given I mean, the, the, the current economic climate in terms of inflation or whatever like that, really they're facing into a very, very challenging and difficult Christmas. A lot of them would have lost stock. A lot of them would be looking at um, expensive property repairs and furniture and fittings that were full of damage and now have to be replaced. So it's going to be very difficult. And we certainly expect that there will be a government flood support scheme. But just how big that is, how generous that is, has yet to be clarified. OK, Ralph, thanks so much for joining us this morning with that update. Thank Good you. Good morning. That's uh, Ralph Regal, their reporter uh, with the Irish Independent. And if you, I'm sure everyone has seen by now the pictures and the video footage that's coming from areas like Middleton from yesterday, just incredible. And if you're on social media, even last night, there was appeals being put up on social media. I remember seeing one that there was uh, an 11 year old child at a house in Glanmire. And there was an appeal for anyone who was living in the area to check in on her because the family couldn't get home to her at all. I mean, incredible stuff. Absolutely incredible. I know parts of Tipperary as well were hit. I know the, the Clohean Ballyluby Road, I think, was uh, was flooded for a while. It was impassable. But if you were affected by flooding yesterday, we'd love to hear from you. 083 311 now, we spoke about it yesterday, but the Irish doctor is supporting medical assistance in dying group. Says it wants to see assisted dying for adults with a terminal illness and a prognosis of six months or less. If you were listening yesterday, you'll know I spoke to Councillor Anne-Marie Ryan whose father was seriously ill with cancer and died from cancer. And she was in favour of that bill. We had a huge reaction to it. And Donal joins me on the line now. Hi, Donal. 
Uh, good morning, Ali, and good morning to your listeners. Good to talk to you this morning, Joel. Thanks for joining us. Tell me, what are your thoughts on assisted dying? Do you think it's something that at least we need to have the conversation about, but would you be in favour of it? Well, we certainly do need to have a conversation about it and an open conversation about it, but all the facts are put on the table. Uh, at the moment, it appears to be dressed up in woolly clothing to make it look like something beneficial to people, whereas in effect, it may well become something that's well broadly abused, and I, that's the danger. Yeah, and I understand there, there are, a lot of people have fears about that. In what way would you be fearful that it would be abused? Well, you consider the current state of our health service, which is in absolute crisis, and there's no sign of any cure coming for that anytime soon. Um, the temptation would be there, I think, to, shall we say, um, uh, push the elderly, uh, the infirm, those with disabilities, down this particular route, because it would be convenient for the health service in the country to, shall we say, just get rid of them, because there are an extended cost on the health service, and it would be very financially viable to just go into them. Do you think it would get that far? Well, this thing could be introduced, say, just let's uh, just, just speculate for a moment, um, by a particular government, but then, of course, um, this lot will go out of office, and the next lot will come in, and then they might decide to go down a different route, shall we say, and all down to shall we say, appealing to certain groups of voters and certain politicians in certain particular seats who might be marginal, um, this might actually be beneficial to them. After all, in politics, it's down to the good of the party, not necessarily the good of the country. Mm. Donald, you referred to assisted dying as Nazism by another name. It sounds very harsh and maybe a bit stark, but is is that why you call it that? Because you feel this is a way for society or the government or whoever it is to get rid of the old and the infirm? Well, just what's happening across Europe, to certain countries now, I think Belgium it is for children as young as 12, have been, if you like, facilitated in this way. And, yeah. and in the Netherlands was, as well, I mean, babies. Yes. Yeah, babies yes. are included. I mean, that's insanity on a grand scale. That's exactly what it is. And, like, call ourselves a society. And a society can be measured on how much it cares for those who are, shall we say, in distress or ill or have disabilities. But this is our solution. It's not a caring society. That's a very, very dark place we're going. And I would contend that it is Nazism by another name. It's just being dressed up nicely to look nice and fluffy. But it's not anything but. Donald, what would you say to people like Anne-Marie who spoke to us yesterday, who her and her family had to watch their dad die slowly and he and excruciatingly, and he would have, she feels, if he had been given the option, he would avail of, of availed of this. What do you say to families who say... We would have liked to have had that option because our loved one did not want to die the way that they died. Well, it's a very difficult case, and I understand that. And because I, I've seen my own elderly relatives die too for all sorts of different reasons, but palliative care should be available to people at its maximum. But unfortunately, in this country, again, that's something that's in short supply particularly palliative care 
um, and respite care for children. Yeah, absolutely. Very, yeah. Little, very little of it there. There's no investment in it. So it's very difficult to even entertain this idea when we don't do all the other things correctly first. Yeah, it's a good point. If we need to get the basics right before we start bringing in something like that, is that what you're saying? This, this is a kind of a measure that, as I said to you, it looks lovely, uh, pardon the pun, but it looks, um, shall we say, kind, acceptable. Yeah. But the problem is, it will be abused. That much I can guarantee you. Donald, hold the line there. We have Dave on with us as well. Good morning to you, Dave. Morning, Ed. Good to talk to you this morning. Tell me, what are your views on assisted dying? I I would actually be in favour of it. Um, now, a couple things though. Like, first of all, it has to be done by a referendum. Like, there's no way I would agree with like you know just um, you know the government bringing it in and saying, oh well, constitutionally we we you know it's it's not really in there, so you know we can just bring it in ourselves. I, it's one of those things like the marriage referendum, divorce, abortion that the people of the country have to have their say, you know. And if it's if it's voted in, you know, okay, if it's not voted in, you know, that's democracy. I'll you know I'll I'll go along with that. Um, but another thing as well, the legislation has to be ironclad to stop it from being abused. Like I mean, in a lot of countries. But in a lot of countries, well, in a lot of countries, when they have where they have it, like it's you have to have a terminal diagnosis. You have to be of sound mind. So if you're just an elderly person who wants to die, a lot of places they they won't facilitate you doing that. They they won't do it to a person with special needs because they're not fully copus mentis. They can't make the decision themselves. Uh, they won't let an outside agent make that decision for you. You know, you have to have a diagnosis of where you have six months or less to go you know and you have to be like you basically have to have you know no quality of life and be in you know a lot of pain mm. you know that's that's where i would go like maybe if someone's dying from cancer and they're in the hospital and they're on their last legs and they've made the decision beforehand um and the doctors are like look you know they made the decision we have to do it i'm okay with that because i like i know there's there's this slippery slope argument um that's been made but most countries who have uh, that have this it hasn't been abused. Now, Canada, unfortunately, will be an outlier in that. So whatever the Canadians do, we'll, you know, we'll just do the opposite. But it's just I've, I've seen people slowly fall apart and die from cancer. And it's a long, protracted, horrible way for a person to go out. You see people who are like strong and fit and healthy in life. And by the time they die, they're emaciated. They're in pain. I mean, palliative care in this country is amazing. It is. The, palliative, the people who work in palliative care, who work in the hospices, that come to your houses, the palliative care nurses that come and stay overnight with your loved one before they die, they're the greatest people on the face of the planet, Absolutely. in my opinion. Yeah. But palliative care can only go so far. There are some people that no matter how much morphine you give them, no matter how comfortable you try to make them, their last weeks are spent in excruciating pain. And I just personally believe that you shouldn't be made to live like that. I mean, like, not everybody who gets a terminal diagnosis might even choose to go down that road. Yeah. Um, I, you know, but it would, just, it would be nice to have the option there for them, to let them go out with a bit of dignity. Because when you go through that, when a family goes through that, when the person dies, it's not just, okay, it's over now, they're dead, they're gone, they're buried. The, the, the emotional scars that are left for the people going on afterwards, uh, 
they take years to deal with. They're, they're with you for the rest of your life. And I wouldn't like to put my family through that. I really wouldn't. Dave, you know, where, I where, would like... Sorry, where do you stand on the contentious issue of mental health? Because I know that's one where, you know, if somebody is depressed enough that they say, I will take my own life, I would prefer to do it in an environment where it's it's more controlled. Um, and it, that should be an option available to me if assisted dying is an option. What would you say to that? You see, I don't know. You see, that's that's one I'm, I'm still not 100% on myself because I would like to see us have decent mental health services first. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it, it kind of just does seem like taking the easy option. It's like, I wish you look, why, why bother pumping money into mental health services when a person just gets really bad, they can just off themselves. Like, I, I would much prefer to see us have an actual working mental health system as opposed to just bringing in assisted dying and someone being like, you know, really depressed or, you know, really, really down and taking that option. Because a lot of people who might feel that way, if they get the proper help, you know, they can go on and live a long, full, fulfilling life. You know, I mean, think of like people who might have had mental health problems 50 years ago in Ireland mm. compared to people who get the help that they need now. You know, there's a massive difference in their quality of life. You know what I mean? So like what I'm, where I'm just coming from it for uh, is just for people with like terminal diagnosis or Maybe someone who's been, you know, diagnosed with Alzheimer's who says, right, I don't want to spend the last 10 years of my life in a bed basically just being kept alive for the sake of being kept alive. You know, that's that's the angle I'm coming at it from, you know, because I, I, I really genuinely think if we have a proper functioning mental health system, a lot of those people who might want to end their lives, if they get the help that they need and that they deserve, you know, they wouldn't actually go down that road. I'm talking about people who are like, look, there is no hope for you you know, let's ease your passing, so to speak. Yeah. Donald, can I bring you back in on this? What What do you think of what Dave is saying? Well, what Dave has said there, in a sense, uh, he did uh, pick out in particular the fact that um, we should have a proper functioning working health service before we even look at this. Mm. And I think I would be in agreement with that in a sense that uh, the thing is in such a, a, a scary mess at the moment that it needs an absolute thorough overhaul, to say the least. Yeah. And I, I, I've spoken to Fran about this before. And unfortunately, unless um, a certain amount of managerial people are actually fired immediately for incompetence, because there's a lot of incompetence in the system, things will not improve. But the political will would have to be there to do that. Yeah. But it, the, the other question is, in, is this more political will working in reverse uh, to actually uh, create a, another band-aid for the system that's not actually working. Mm. You know? So you don't uh, trust it, Donald? Absolutely. <coughs> I'm a user of the health system. My elderly relatives have been users of the health system. Uh, none of them trusted it. I, I put it to you this way. Um, not too long ago in Nina, a gentleman collapsed in the middle of the town and a friend of mine who was a medical practitioner uh, went to his assistance. And he begged her, please, please do not send me to Limerick because I won't come back. Those are the exact words. Because people fear going into that place because they see it as a death sentence. Mm. You know? So if we have a dysfunctional system like that, how can we even consider doing what's being proposed here? 
Okay. Can Does it I, make sense? Can I finish by asking you both, Donal, I'll ask you first, if this was to go to a vote or a referendum, which I agree, Dave, it probably will end up going to a referendum if it if it goes down that way. Donal, if I, if I ask you first, what would you vote if it was a referendum? Would you be for or against? If it goes to a referendum, all of the facts must be put before the people. Not like in the past where a certain narrative was put before the people. In all referendums that have come up in my living memory, nothing has been, shall we say, truthful. And assuming that we can achieve that much, which would be very difficult, I'd be voting no anyway. Okay. And Dave, you? Uh, it kind of depends on the wording of the legislation for me, to be honest with you. Like I said, I mean, there was kind of like the abortion referendum would be a perfect example where they said it's you know it's going to be 12 weeks and it's going to, we're going to leave it at that you know the, the goalposts won't be shifted and that's the reason why a lot of people voted yes and now you see you have groups trying to move the goalposts you know what I mean so yeah. like if it's ironclad and they're like it's you know it's only for end of life care you know um, it's not because you're an elderly person or because you know you're say a person with such severe um, uh, mental disabilities that you know quality of life, you know, so long as it, it, it doesn't go down that road, I definitely would vote yes. I, I, I would. I, I think people deserve the right to go out with dignity on their own terms. Okay. Well, Donal and Dave, it was a pleasure to speak to you both this morning. Thanks for sharing your views with us on Tip Today. Thank you both. Yep, they're gone. That's Donal and Dave there. Thanks for that. A lot of reaction in on it. Just to bring you a little bit of it, Mary says, when you go to Milford House and you're put on morphine, they can tell you down to one minute when you're going to die. But I don't agree uh, with the speaker you have on. I think that was with Dave. Also, a listener says, if this government asked for a referendum, I would vote no every time. Um, as anything they promote is for the benefit of the rich, which is going along with what Donal was saying. Uh, Declan was saying, why are we surprised with the direction assisted dying is heading? Just look at the abortion figures since it became legalised. Statistics show abortion is now being abused and figures way ahead of anything that was expected legally. Now, the listener said, I wouldn't be in favour of it. I have a special needs son. I'd be terrified that someone would make a decision like that for him if I was not here. Uh, another listener says, my father begged me not to let them give him more juice, just let him off, please, son, was what he said. Um, another listener, I agree with Donal 100%. I say no to assisted dying. Keep those texts coming in to us 83311 or 1800 We also got another text in on Leo Varadkar's comments. I'm sure you, you may have heard them during the news with Paul at nine, uh, where Leo Varadkar was, um, I suppose he spoke out in support of the Palestinian people. A listener is saying, I am raging over Leo Varadkar's comments over war. He's laying blame on Israel, speaking for the whole of Ireland. We don't want any involvement. He won't sort out anything in our own country, um, like flooding, for instance. That's from May. Keep those texts coming in to us. We're back after this. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to Tip Today. A listener says last week Leo Varadkar said Israel had a right to defend themselves. He can't have it both ways. That was in relation to uh, May's text. May's raging over Leo's comments this morning. Uh, she's saying that he's lame, laying the blame on Israel and speaking for the whole of Ireland, which he doesn't have the right to do. 
Uh, let us know what you think. Text or WhatsApp 083 311 or 1800-938-007. Now, if you were listening yesterday, you'll know that we were speaking about this proposal to have um, penalty points increased for bank holidays or times where uh, road safety is deemed to be a higher risk. Essentially, we had a lot of texts in about it, a lot of divided opinion on it. Noel joins me on the line now. Hiya, Noel. Hello, and thanks very much for having me. Not at all, Noel. Always a pleasure. Let me know, what do you think about this proposal to increase penalty points for bank holidays in particular? Well, first of all, it's a waste of time. Now, I'm only going back on the the, uh, previous bank holiday where we did not see one guard out. Not one guard out. And I travel now, I travel a good bit. And I do not see one guard out. It's grand to say to introduce it, but it's pointless. And it's only it's only a money racket. A money racket. Well, the vans now are different. To, oh, yeah, the vans I are know, different. Yeah. But, but in relation to, say, fines with, with penalty points and uh, Gary Shikhan and all them, it's pointless. So what would you like to see? Would you like to see but, more checkpoints or more visibility? Yes, more checkpoints, get rid of the penalty points, get rid of the penalty point system, Completely. And, yes, and bring them to court and give them a, a fairly hefty fine. But get rid of the penalty points. Okay. But a lot That's, of people would say the penalty point system, even though, of course, it has its faults, it has been quite successful in terms it, of driver behaviour. If it's a successful, uh, they say it is a successful. Uh, just, just, just take the figures for the death on the Irish roads this year alone. Yeah. Like, to, in my opinion, it's not working. In my opinion, it's not working at all. But then, Noel, how much of it comes down to personal responsibility and we all yeah. need to behave ourselves a bit but more? It's coming down to personal responsibility and down to actually signage as well. I had this argument with Fran on, on radio and I said, if signage is not there, how is people meant to know? And you See, mean I'll give an example. Speed, yeah. uh, speed, ra- speed ramps. There's no signages. I, I was on the radio with Fran about, about this, about uh, road signage where there's a ramp coming up. How are you meant to know where there's a ramp? It's in pitch dark at night. Like, it's completely ridiculous. These penalty points is absolutely ridiculous. So you just think if you're caught speeding, but let's say if you're caught speeding, if you're doing maybe 55 over 50, instead of getting... Um, penalty sorry, points. 55 in a 50. If You say you shouldn't get penalty points. You should be brought to court and given a hefty fine. A very hefty fine say like, say, three, four hundred euros and give it to a charity of your choice. But would that not clog up the court system? Well, there's a small claims court. Bring an awful lot of that into it. Don't, don't clog up the, the, the courts where they have major cases going on. But you can't bring cases like that to small claims. Small claims would be if, if Noel, I was maybe suing you because, you know, you you broke my gate or you did something like that. That's small claims. Right, you, yeah. I mean, maybe, in I know in the US they have like a traffic court. Do you think something yeah. like that? Yes, something like that as well, yes. Small cases that will only last about 10 or 15 minutes inside. Out, in, done, you got your fine, go and pay it. That's it. You have so many weeks to pay it. Right. That's, that's my opinion of it, but... The, in my opinion, the penalty points is not working, and I'm and I'm speaking because I, I I'm not put a tooth I have three of them. You're very bold, Noel. What did you do? Uh, they said the well, it's a one one side of story. They said I was speeding, but <laughs> <laughs> they, they can't, they can't, uh, when I asked for footage and asked for. 
stuff, they can never give it to me. So they couldn't prove it. So you're you're claiming innocence. Oh, oh I'm, I'm claiming innocence, but I for a quite just for a quiet life, yeah. nine times out of the ten, I just went and paid it. Yeah. But they're making out this. They're they're they're, they're saying that um that you you went and you agreed to pay it, and now you're you're taking liability. And how fast did they say you were going? They said I was doing a, in a fifty mile zone. I was doing seventy two. No, you're very bold. But but when when they asked me, when I asked them where is the signage, the signage, they're not have to give it to me. You're saying there was no signage. No signage showing there at all, you and I'm speaking. Right. Yeah. Ah. And, I, and I'm speaking from experience with these penalty points. I think they're a waste of time. How long do you have them on your license? Then is it two years? Three years. Oh, three years. And would you believe it if I? And I'll, I'll give you a brief description. I had an accident in July. Hmm. When I went to reclaim, uh, claim my insurance, or, or claim off my insurance and and uh, renew my insurance, and all, they didn't even uh, they didn't even ask about the penalty points. Yeah. Now they got my they got my license number. They got all this. No problem. They were all they to bring it up, but they said no, it doesn't affect it. Right. Yeah. And I, I, were we not told at the very beginning of penalty points that you'd have to declare your penalty points when you were renewing your yep. insurance, and it would affect the insurance, then your insurance would go up. Yep. Well, in, in my opinion, it didn't affect mine at all. Yeah, mine neither now, because I got two as well, and it didn't yeah. affect mine. So, so things like that, I mean, in my opinion, it's, I think it's a waste of time having these penalty points. Okay. It's only a money racket. Hold it, the line it, there, Noel. I'm going to bring somebody else in on this. Shane, how are you? Is Shane there? Hiya, Shane. Shane? No, we don't have Shane. Emma's going to check for him. But, Noel, I'm coming back to you on this then. If, we'll say, we're always being told that maybe the Gardaí need to relook at traffic and there's a lot of discussion about whether we need more Gardaí, whether what we have in place is actually working and we need something else. Do you think maybe Gardaí numbers also play into this a little bit? Because we've seen how the traffic core numbers have almost halved in the past five or six years alone. So do you think we need to start putting more resources into that or do you think that's a waste of time as well? Well, um, we don't. First of all, we don't have the numbers for the Gardaí Shikana to go to go forward. Mm. We need. We need. Uh, I would say they're they're too tightened up in relation to regulation. You have to be this. You have to be this. You have to be this to go to go forward for the guards. I was talking to a certain gentleman over in Nina yesterday, and he said he went three times for the guards. His father's an ex-cop. He's a retired cop. Mm. Now I mentioned no names, right? Yeah, please don't. But. But the bottom line is the regulations to go forward for the guards. There's a, a theory test. There's a fitness test. There's, there's this. If you're willing to go, like they had, a, they had a lovely system there going back a few years ago back where you were able to go in and volunteer as a, as a guard. As a reserve, yeah. As a reserve. And then climb the ladder if you wanted to go for the guards. Yeah. Right? I, yeah, I don't know did many but, reserves end up becoming guards though, did they? We never yeah, got figures but, on that. Well, I know, I know there was I know three of them out of Tipperary that went for it. Right. And they got into the guards. Now, they didn't go through the college, but they'd done the guard reserve and they're happy out. Yeah, and they got it. So, I, I think Shane is back on the line with us uh, now. We'll try him again. Hiya, Shane. Well, how are you? I'm good, Shane. Good to talk to you this morning. Tell me, what's your take on this proposal to increase penalty points for bank holidays? I don't know if you heard Noel. Noel thinks the whole penalty point system should be scrapped altogether. What What do you make of that? 
Well, well, I, 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 I'll tell you now what I think now, to be uh, to be honest with you. Now, I said I said to someone there yesterday, if they're going to do it on the bank holiday, they, they may as well do it every day of the week because people are speeding for all different types of reasons, yeah. you know? Now, now, lads will be going in and out there, like I've seen, going in and out there to the to the factories out there, Holy Cross Road, and lads will be coming in and out, flying it, like absolutely flying it. And the, when the matches are on, people are f- flying it as well, in and out to the town. And you know, if someone's late for work now, something out in the factory now, something they they be flying it. So, and if it's going to do it on bank holidays, they may as well be doing it on um, on the Christmas and the Easter and any other holiday there is. Yeah. So, not to to maybe specify only bank holidays. You think it it should be increased across the board? Well, no, I I don't think it should be increased. But I think if you're going to do it for one, you have to do it for all. Right. So, it's either do it for none or don't do it at all, at all. Yeah, Noel, did you want to come in? Yeah, I agree with what Shane is saying there. Like, why, why yeah. actually uh, specifically pin on bank holiday weekends? Why specifically go for bank holiday weekends? If they're going to do it, they might as well do it for all weekends. Well, I suppose the theory exactly. is that bank holiday weekends are the most dangerous statistically to be on the roads. That's but when the most of the, the crashes occur. I'm only going back for the last bank holiday we had. And I travel, say, up to East Galway and back down to North Tipperary and over to my own hometown. Well, as I call my own hometown now in Ardfinan, mm. right? I did not see one cop on the road. Not one. To be devil's yeah. advocate, were they in an unmarked? Maybe they were no, in an unmarked. <laughs> no, there was no, yeah, there yeah. was actually no car, no wheels on the road. Nothing. Nothing. Well, is that the problem, Shane? Do we need more Gardaí on the road? Do we need more visibility? Yeah, I mean, well, you, you won't see cops on the road because there are guards over here, but you'll see guards on the road now in the guard cars <laughs> now from time to time, much. <laughs> Go ahead, <laughs> Yeah, they, but they like, must have I mean, a bottle of vanish because we don't see them here in, in South Dip. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, well, rather than drinking vanish and drinking whiskey, could they be speeding as well? <laughs> True. <laughs> Listen, I have a text in from a listener. A listener is saying, scrap the penalty points, an automatic €1,000 fine regardless of the speed over the limit. If you're a provisional licence driver, your permit should be cancelled for a month. Forget penalty points, waste of time, it's not working. What do you make of that, Shane? Yeah, I'll tell you now, I mean, I I, 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 I have a grand car now, I have an Audi, yeah? Lovely. And and, and sometimes I do go over the speed limit just a little bit, just a little bit, and, and and then... I'm 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 probably shooting myself in the foot here now, like. But I just be on the way out to the factory to work, like in my Audi. I just be flying out the road sometimes. Yeah. And then I might see a car, and I might think, Jesus, is that a guard car? And I slow down, like I slow right down. You know. Yeah. And and I think people just had a little bit of cop on when they knew, you know, like it's going to be wet, it's going to be dangerous, it's going to be bank holiday weekend, you know, you know. Yeah. And and, and just had a bit of cop on themselves, you know. Because the cars are getting bigger and the roads are smaller. That's the thing. And we all seem to be getting a bit more hurried and a bit more aggressive on the roads. So, yeah. you know. There's a great, there's a great saying, there's a Buddhist saying, yeah? Go on. It says, you're not stuck in traffic, you are traffic, right? <gasps> wow. Now, that, 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 what that pretends to now is that everyone thinks everyone else is the problem, but they're not the problem themselves. And we're all part of it. Yeah, you're dead right. No. No. But, Alison, no, the one one thing I will say is speed vans. They can park where they like, when they like, and how they like. But when they first came out, they had to park within a certain certain area. You're right. To, a traffic black spot. Yes. As well. Now they should yeah. be put yeah. back yeah. in the black spot again. 
they can think they can just pull up whenever they like, how they like and where they like. Yeah, and sometimes and you'll find no them on motorways and they shouldn't be on motorways at all. No, no. Like, I, I'll give an example. I have a friend above in the north of Ireland and they don't even have speed vans. They have cameras and they have a, a big pole up at the side of the motorway and it's going out the middle of the road and they pick it up and they have a fine out in the road. And there's no penalty points in the north of Ireland. Yeah. Although what does what has worked very well is that um, it's the distance speed camera that's up on the M7 where it can detect your speed depending on how long it takes you to get from point A to point mm-hmm. B. And that's very yeah. successful. Should something like that be rolled out? Yeah, maybe. Maybe so, I think, no. Yeah, yeah. because it works, you know. That's the thing. And the it takes very little po- policing. The, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the proof is in the pudding, you know. Mm. The proof is in the pudding, as the fella says. And 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 I think like with everyone's everyone's abiding the issue that we're all part of the problem, you know. Yeah, and we we're are. all pointing the finger, and, and, and we should be pointing. When you're pointing one finger at someone else, does does at least three of them pointing back at you? You know. That's right, Shane and uh, Noel. I'll have to leave it there for this morning. Great to talk to you both. Thanks so much. Oh, Thank you. Very much. Thank you. Nice All one. Thanks. Uh, okay. Bye now. Bye bye. Uh, just some reaction to that. A listener says, uh, um, "I got two penalty points doing fifty-three in a fifty, and my insurance went up." That was from Martina. Uh, also, a listener says, "Can you explain why there is a sign saying you can do a hundred kilometres an hour into a roundabout in Care? Uh, that's the Tipperary roundabout, but on the other approach road, it says it's only six uh yeah another one then regarding the assisted dying a listener says my first thoughts would have been to not approve of it but now i find myself feeling that the cost of care in nursing homes would swallow up money that would be of advantage to my children going forward so i feel it should be given some consideration that is from tom uh also i'll bring you another one donald text in about leo brecker's comments on israel He said the real reason for this conflict is the price of oil. Discuss, as they say in the Leaving Cert. That's from Donald. Keep those texts coming into us. 083 311 Welcome back to Tip Today. A listener said, I heard a mention there of bad parking. Just go look at the parking on the Golden Road out of Cashel. Parking on both sides. It's absolutely ridiculous. Also in relation to Leah Baracker's comments on what's happening in Gaza, a listener says, our so-called leaders will not condemn Israel for fear of losing out on plum jobs in Europe. Simple as that. Another listener says the biggest factor with accidents at the moment is mobile phones. Keep those texts coming into us 083 311 We're staying on the issue of road safety now and to the NCT because it was mentioned during a few calls yesterday. Uh, some people saying how the penalty points are a scam and the NCT is a scam. Johnny joins me on the line now. Hiya, Johnny. Good morning, Alison. How are you? I'm good, Johnny. Now, I know you've had an issue with your NCT and one of the big problems with it is the amount of time that a lot of people have to wait for it. Tell me what happened to you. Yeah, I my NCT is up now in October and the earliest date I can get for to get a renewal of the NCT test is the 29th of February. February. 24. So you'll be out by five months then? I'm losing out by five months, but... My gripe is, will I get a certificate for only seven months rather than 12 months when I win for that? Yes, my dear, you will. Only seven months. 
Yeah, that's crazy, yeah. crazy. It should be kind of 12 months from the point you did your NCT, really. From the, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. That's that's my point of view about it, yeah. Yeah, it's I crazy. think it is, it is completely wrong. You, I go to Nina for my NCTs. Now, the, the, the bays aren't full because I don't think they have enough of people doing the testing on it. Yeah. You know? I, I don't think they let you stay anymore either. I think that was an issue for... I spoke to somebody recently and they wanted to stay to watch the NCT being done and they were told you can't do that. Oh, no, I, 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 I'm never in watching what's on. I'm waiting outside until they come out with the keys again. Yeah. You know, there, there's no people allowed in to look at what they're doing. And I, I wonder what is being done sometimes. Well, this is it, yeah. Yeah, but now... I agree 100% with NCTs because there's a lot of cars on the road that shouldn't be even fitted and block a gap. Yeah. Not to mind being on the road. But then there's a lot of cars going for NCT that don't need an NCT. Does a four or five-year-old car really need an NCT? Yeah, well, that's debatable. If you if you get a problem with your shock absorbers or anything like that, when you're going over these bumps that they have on the so-called pedestrian crossings, mm. you wouldn't be long about if it's a 12-month-old or 12-year-old car yeah. doing damage. I know one listener made the suggestion yesterday that the NCT should go on mileage and not the year of the car. What do you think of that? Uh, no, I wouldn't say that now. My old banger is, <laughs> is going a long time Still and I have going. a good bit of mileage. Have, have you always passed the NCT, Johnny? Oh, I have, yeah. Yeah, never bother. Well, I didn't. I didn't last time. I, I went down on a ball joint, oh. but I got that done straight away, and I had no problem getting it passed. Yeah, you see, for things like that, I suppose it is helpful because something like uh, that, it, it if left there, it could end up being potentially dangerous or damaging yeah. to the car. So it's good to know. But yeah. then on the other yeah. side, you've people failing for stupid reasons. I think I've mentioned before that I failed the NCT once because they said I had too many air fresheners hanging from my my mirror. So I failed the NCT oh. for that. Yeah, yeah, That's I know. It's a, it's a, a lot of it is a money racket. It's yeah. a money racket. You know, they're not worried about you or me, what you think. They they just decide that they could do with another few quid. Mm. Johnny, a listener is saying that you can go on a priority list and you'll have a date then within three weeks. Have you tried that? Uh, I haven't tried that, but I will, I'll go down the road. I'll, I'll, keep, I'll keep to the appointment I have on the 29th of February, so that'll do me. You're not too concerned. But I, the thing is, if a guard stops you, You'll be all right, but Johnny. If you have proof with you... I have it on my phone anyway that I have the, the test date. That'll cover you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You'll be fine. But it is, it is crazy. You know, you're wasting guards' time there by checking up and doing this and that. And they have enough to be doing with their time now without checking on Johnny. <laughs> but you're important too, Johnny. Uh, uh, listener, money, uh, no. money a number. Not at all. Not to us, you're not, Johnny. A listener is saying you should go to the NCT website after midnight and retry again. Advice I got from a friend and it recently worked for me. The NCT up in October. I got a slot for the end of October instead of the 25th of February. Tell him it's worth a try. Yeah, yeah. No, you're you're I'm, you're sticking to your February, aren't you? I know by I, you. I'd stick to the February. Tell with it. Yeah. That's what I can do. Now, yeah. Alison, as I'm talking to you. Go on. I just want to say congratulations to uh, the tallest tidy towns on the markings they got. 
Yeah. And it is no thanks to the council with the state of the river in Turles. It is a ton of disgrace. No, they would have got a lot more markers uh, if that was done and looked after. Why? Whereabouts? What, what area of the river? At, at the river bridge in right. Turles. It's a disgrace. You could nearly walk across all the, all the dirt that's in the river. Are you saying up there by the source? Yeah. Okay. Now, oh, I did, is, there's a cone in there, all right. I've seen a cone in there a couple of times. But uh, other than that, several, it's not bad, is it? Trolleys, there's, there's shopping trolleys and there's weeds and there's everything in it. I feel sorry for the poor old divots that are trying to do something for tidy town. Yeah. I mean, they do great work around the county. Uh, all they the groups do, around yeah. the county. They do, They're in incredible. fairness to them now. Yeah. And it's great to see them recognised. So you wanted to give a shout out to Tidy Towns and Thurless Johnny. Yeah, Good yeah, man. fair play to him. Yeah. Keep it up. Absolutely. Keep it up. Johnny, great to talk to you this morning. Right, Alison. I'll talk to you. Thanks, Johnny. Bye, bye. That's Johnny there. Uh, listener says, in relation to the NCT, any data on what lives the NCT supposedly have saved. Um, I think if you're careless enough, some don't care about tax insurance NCT. They'll have the ball tires, they'll be speeding as they're the sort who don't care about who is on the road. That's from Barry. Thanks for that, Barry. Uh, another listener says the website is slower. Uh, the priority list is the only job. That's from Jamie. Listener says I got pulled in last year in my four-year-old car and got three points and a 60 euro fine for no NCT. On a four-year-old car. God, in relation to, I, I was talking to somebody who said you couldn't sit in there anymore, but May said I had what four weeks ago and I was able to sit. Uh, there and wait until it was done. Another listener says if you ring them, they'll fit you in. There's a waiting room in care and you can see what's being done. Also in relation to assisted dying, a listener says I'm horrified by Dave's comments on yes to assisted dying. In his own points, uh, both talked about the poor family watching their loved one in pain. That is life and should not be part of the discussion about another person's decision to die. That is pressure by their own admission on the person to choose an early death. I have a chronic cancer I live with. I'm 43. I would be horrified if my caregivers even mentioned an option where they kill me early before my natural death. How could I trust my medical care team if they bring killing me when I'm at my most vulnerable? That's from one listener this morning. Keep those texts coming in to us. 83 311 uh, We're back with news after this. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Today, the phone line is open 1800 938 or you can text or WhatsApp 083 311 In relation to the NCT, a listener says, I brought my car for the NCT. It failed on one shock. A mechanic told me there's nothing wrong with the shocks. I brought my car back for a retest. Uh, there was no word then about the shocks. My car passed with flying colours. It's all a money racket. Jaron uh, Killanol says it is a money racket, failing people for silly things and having to go back again to hand out more money. If there was a little problem, they could let the person know and it's in their own interest to get it sorted instead of robbing people, like most things in Ireland, says Jer. Another listener says if the NCT are unable to carry out their duties on time, they should be heavily fined. The RSA is a money-making machine with absolutely no care for safety. The biggest scam of all is the truck and bus CPC. Absolute robbery. That's from Joe in Thurless. Keep those texts coming in to us this morning. 
The CSO has revealed their economic and social change reports looking at Ireland between when we joined the EU in 1973 and now. This report covered everything from house prices and our workforce to baby names and the cars we drive. Colette Keane is Press Office Editor-in-Chief for the Central Statistics Office and she joins me on the line now. Colette, good morning. Morning, Alison. Good to talk to you this morning, Colette. I mean, this was such an, an incredible and very interesting study to look at. Um, what was, I suppose, the inspiration to, to start this, first of all, and why from when we joined the EC? Uh, well, it is exactly that. It was just to mark that milestone of the 50 years membership of, of the European uh, Union. Uh, we joined in 1973 and uh, it was just to have a look at what the kind of social and economic impact of that has been. No, well, not we can't, you know, attribute everything to that uh, membership. It has certainly been a huge influence on, on our on our economy and on our society. And let's look at some of the things that this report has thrown up. I thought one of the most interesting things was the cost in house prices and how that has changed. Yeah, that, that obviously is, is catching a lot of people's attention. Um, you know, in 1973, the price of, a, of an average um, residential property was seven, just over £7,000, which is about oh, just over €9,000, whereas now the um, average price of a house as of June of this year was €318,000. So obviously that's a huge yeah. increase. Um, and in the, in the report, we also have a lovely little graphic which chased uh, you know, uh, charts the uh, house prices through the decades. Each of those of those fifth, uh, five decades. So, you know, from the seventies, eighties, and nineties. And what was interesting was, it wasn't until the two thousands when house prices here really started to accelerate. Even up until the nineties, it was it was below the average prices were below ninety thousand euros. Um, and at the height of the uh, economic boom. The average residential property price was just under three hundred and fifty thousand euros, and then after the uh, the uh, the uh, downturn, it fell to just over two uh, two hundred and five thousand euros in twenty twelve. So, you know, it's just it's it's really interesting to look at our economy through something as as simple as house prices. You can see the changes in economic fortunes in something like that. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And what's always comparable with house prices then is how much people are earning. So does that kind of collate with the house prices? Yeah, I mean, you know, it was a different time, I suppose. You know, I, uh, for 1973, Ireland, um, the average industrial earnings uh, for industrial workers was about £30, which is equivalent to about €38. Euros. Um, and in 2022, average weekly industrial earnings were €825. Euros. Wow. So massive difference. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms then of, of the number of people employed, how much has that changed? Um, well, our population—it's hard to equate them. Our, obviously, our, the numbers of people in employment—we're uh, at record numbers of people of, uh, in employment in Ireland at the moment. Um, but our population has also increased, so it makes it hard to kind of compare the two. Yeah. Um, so, like over that time, our population went from just under three million to just over five point one million which is a 73% increase between 1971 and 2022. That's incredible. And in terms of education then and people uh, availing of third level education, what have we seen, how have we seen that change? Yeah, I think this is one of the big uh, stories really to come out of um, of Ireland really is that is, is how our education has kind of helped transform 
um, our society, I think, because in the 1970s, you probably remember, you know, it wasn't traditional for people to kind of finish even secondary school, yeah. never mind go to college, uh, you know, bigger families, more responsibilities to provide money on the table. Um, so we can see that in 1972, there was just 26,500 students enrolled in college in that year. Whereas when we look at uh, the year, say, 2016, we can see there was 181,000 uh, people enrolled uh, in third level education. That's a 583% increase over that time. Gosh. And uh, what's interesting as well is that we now have one of the highest educational attainment uh, levels in Europe. Uh, we're joint second in terms of third level educational attainment with 62% of our population having a third level degree. I suppose that's helped by the, the level of support that's now given um, now compared to what would have been given for families who needed support maybe in the 70s? Yeah, I think, I look, I think things have changed dramatically for families. Families are smaller. You know, there's definitely been a bigger push towards education. You know, the responsibility to kind of maybe, provide, as, as we were saying, you know, to provide, you know, money for the household has kind of diminished a small bit. And not in every case, obviously. But um, I think our changing economic fortunes has made it it's more possible for more people to, yeah. to, to head down the college route, you know. What's also interesting about this study is the change in the consumer basket as well. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Oh, this is one of my favourite yeah. things that came out of the report um, because the uh, Central Statistics Office has been collecting information on uh, you know what we buy over the decades and it helps we have a basket of goods then that we use of what people kind of typically buy to help us uh, figure out what the rate of inflation is uh, for, for families. So in 1973... We used to collect the um, price of a gin and tonic and a vodka and white as a sale in a lounge bar, which would likely be an indication of the fact that many pubs wouldn't actually serve women in a bar. You had to drink in a snug or a lounge area, yeah. um, whereas now, obviously, we only collect the price of a measure of the spirit, no mixer, and as a, as a general bar sale, there's no differentiation between that. Yeah. And uh, in 1975... We only collected the price of a bottle of wine as a restaurant-only sale, which would kind of indicate that, you know, people weren't drinking wine at home. It wasn't, the, you know, something that we did, you know, whereas I think there's a big change in society yeah. in that over the last number of years, you yeah, know. Yeah, it's funny. And you weren't putting your four bottles of wine into the shopping cart maybe in the 1970s compared Probably, to... Probably. <laughs> Probably only had access to kind of blue nun and yeah, <laughs> and Lee Bramlich, wasn't that the yeah, other yeah, one? Yeah, that's another one. Yeah, exactly. in terms of, of vehicles then, and, and what we're buying in terms of cars, how drastic a change has that seen? Yeah, that was interesting. Again, it just kind of helped charting kind of social history. I think so. In the nineteen seventy two, Ford was the number one um, car brand uh, that were that people were registering in in nineteen seventy two at over 14,000, say, um, cars registered that year. You know, there was a Ford uh, factory in Cork. Um, there would have been a big push by Ford to get Irish people to drive, whereas now it's kind of slipped down into the kind of, um, just in, in 2022, it was number six in terms of the top 10 brands. Um, whereas Toyota, there was one Toyota uh, car registered in 1972, if you can believe that. Wow. And now, it, like Toyota is consistently in our top ten and, and uh, of the, among the top three usually as well. And in 2022, it was the top uh, car brand uh, with over 15,000 uh, cars registered in 2022. God, that's incredible. One of my favourites then is the most popular baby names. Tell me yeah. what were the most popular ones then in the 70s? 
So as you'd kind of imagine, it was John and Mary. Uh, so they were the chart toppers, I suppose, back in those days. And they were, John and Mary were consistently the number one names for boys and girls in the 60s, 70s and 80s. So in 1973, for example, there was 2,400 boys called John, whereas in 2022 it was 36. And um, Mary, in 1973, there was 1,500 uh, baby girls called Mary, whereas in 2022, it was 187. And those names have been kind of changed. It was kind of the 90s when people started picking different names. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot more variety in the girls' names that we choose. But I suppose since the 2000s, uh, Jack has dominated as the number one name for boys. Whereas in for the girls, it, it's kind of swapped around between Emily and Sarah and Grace and Fia. But last year, it was Emily was the number one choice for baby girls in Ireland. Lovely. Were there any big shocks in it for you? Or is it just a case of you're so interested to see how we have evolved over the last 50 years that, you know, all of it is really interesting to you? Well, I think I think there was lots of little interesting nuggets in it. You know, um, we just mentioned the, the, the basket of goods there that we use for uh, looking at the the consumer price index like in 1970s we for when we were looking at communications mm. um we looked at when we were putting that those prices together in the 1970s it was the cost of a telephone call from a phone box and the cost of sending a telegram whereas obviously now it's mobile phones it's broadband services it's satellite tv and streaming services as part of the communications package um and the other thing i think that stood out was obviously our economic uh, figures and just to kind of illustrate that point, um, in 1973, the balance of trade and goods in Ireland was minus 268 million. Wow! And in 2022, it was 67.6 billion plus. Yeah, plus. That's incredible. You know, so I mean, that that's they're they're huge figures. There's huge economic and social change over those uh, 50 years. You. Know? It'll be interesting to see what the next 50 years will bring us, won't it, Colette? <laughs> At least I won't be putting it together. <laughs> <laughs> well, Colette, thanks so much for telling us about it today. So interesting. Thanks for joining us. Thanks very much. And all the information is freely available on our website, cso.ie, if anyone wants to go and look at it further. Excellent. I'm sure it's, it's a bit of a rabbit hole for people. They'll look <laughs> forward to it. Thanks so much, thanks, Colette. Thanks, Alison. That's uh, Colette Keane, their press officer, editor-in-chief with the Central Statistics Office. Let us know what you think. I think it's so interesting kind of to look back. 50 years, not a long time, but when you see the progress, or some would say maybe how we've gone backwards in 50 years for in, in some ways but let us know what you think 083 311 or 1800-938-007 Now Catherine Buckley is from Tipperary she's become the first woman in Ireland to become a full-time independent cattle hoof trimmer I'm delighted to have her on the line with me now this morning Good morning to you Catherine how are you? I'm great. Good to talk to you this morning. Tell me, like the first woman hoof trimmer, and and from Tip as on top of that as well. I mean, where did where did it come from? Where did um, this work start for you? Um, I'm I've been farming since a very young age. Like so, it's just I always had a passion for farming. Yeah, and I just liked the hoof trimmer. I seen it before, and then I got an opportunity to do a bursary with the Irish Hoof Trimming Association. So I took it and it just worked out good for me. And now it's turned into a, a full-time job, I suppose, for you, as opposed to, to being something you were doing in, in your spare time. What's involved, though, in, in hoof trimming? Tell me what, what happens. What do you do? So, um, hoof trimming, 
phone saying that there's problems with cows, but she was hoping that she would improve their system of hoofdman more than a problem. Catherine, I'm losing you a little bit. Can I can I just get you to move a small bit? I'm just losing you. You're dropping out a little bit. Sorry, can you hear me now? A little bit. Keep moving. It's a little bit better. Sorry now. You're grand. You're all right. Is that, that better than Yeah, that? that's perfect. That's perfect. Okay. So tell me what's involved in hoof trimming then. What do you have to do? Um, just go and identify the problem with the cows. And then we put them into a crate. So it's like a crush that holds the cow safely. That everyone's safe. Like the, the ho- There's no... Um, danger of anyone getting hurt or that. Yeah. And do all cows need to have their hooves trimmed? Um, not usually, no. Only if there's any problems or if roadways are bad or that. Yeah. It'd be more of a problem then. And do they enjoy it or would you get a hassle from them? Um, not too much hassle. No, the crate is good. I bought a, a new crate off of EK, EKO Hoof Care. I got a bursary of a thousand euro off them. Yeah. So um, I'm only after buying that. I have about two weeks. And it's working well for you? Very well, yeah. That's great. So you're you're kind of on the hoof trimming now about five days a week. Does that take you all over the county or outside the the, the borders? Where does it bring you? Uh, mostly in the Tipperary. I kind of, I don't really mind like, but it's just our, where I'm from, there's a lot of cows anyway. So yeah. I don't have to go to the car. And would you be dealing with kind of the same people all the time or do you find is it is it bringing you kind of far and wide? Is it kind of a word and mouth thing? How does it happen? Um, it's a lot of word and, word and mouth, yeah. yeah. Um, I have new customers all the time. I have regular customers I do every week and then every week I have new people ringing me, finding out about it and seeing what I go to different kind of locations and stuff. I don't really mind where I go. So talk me through a typical day then. What would a typical day involve for you? Um, so I'd have, I'd, I'd know where I'd be going a few days beforehand. So I kind of plan my week. So I start kind of at nine o'clock in the morning. I'd be in a, play, in a farmer's yard and it's just, um, I'd know roughly how many cows he'd have and I'd know how many I'd be able to do in the day. Yeah. How, ma- how many could you get before. through, was it? How long would it take you to do one cow? Um take about 10 minutes probably a cow oh that's quick it depends on the problem yeah so oh, that's really good uh, how do you feel then about being the first woman hoof trimmer then um it's great yeah but i think women can do as good as men so i don't really mind <laughs> absolutely and would you be encouraging be maybe other yeah would you be encouraging other young women to get involved in it oh god yeah yeah even if the, the weather is bad that wouldn't put you off or anything no no, they're sheds. Everyone's oh, sheds. You're, so, so you're inside doing it. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. great. Anyone maybe who's looking for more information on hoof trimming, where can they get that? Um, I, off the Irish Cattle Hoof Trimming Association. They have a Facebook page or you can ring them if you Google it. There's a number. Yeah. And you can talk to them there. And would farmers have normally undertaken that uh, work themselves? Um, a small bit, not really. It's more, it's just not, you. they don't have the set up to do it. Yeah. So it's just hard to pick up their feet. Okay. Is it or like, I know when, when you do it with a horse, it's like you run your hand down the back and then lift it up. Is it very similar with a cow? <laughs> no. no. 
<laughs> what do you do? Um, we, put them into, we put them into kind of a crate and you lift them with um, a kind of a hook on their foot so you're not really holding their feet or anything. Okay. Do they not like being held? Um, it's not they don't like being held. It's just cattle wouldn't be quite as horses. Right. We wouldn't really be training cows now to stand up and that. Yeah. Did you ever have any any hairy moments with them or anything? No. I'm not really. I'm farming since I was young, so there has been a few, but not too bad. Yeah. Catherine, you're very cool and collected. I, I can tell by you. You probably have that canning <laughs> uh, kind of influence on them as well. Uh, a, listener, a listener is saying, tell the hoof trimming lady to record the trimmings. There's a huge following online for the likes of Nate the Hoof Guy and the Hoof GP. Uh, they reckon you could have a big online following being the only female trimmer. Is that something you'd consider? Um, I would, yeah. I'm just trying to get going, starting yeah. off. You know, I'm only four months at it. So I'm not that long hoof trimming. So, so you're just want finding your feet first. Yeah, just getting to know people and meeting different people. And yeah, would you have have to have a very close relationship with vets then and things like that? Which sorry, with vets, would you be referred um, by a vet? No, not really. No, um, vets don't really do that much of the hoof trimming because they don't have the crate. Yeah, it's more uh, the hoof trimmers, but I train to do it, so I wouldn't really be ringing vets or anything about it. Yeah. So you're kind of on your own. You're a solo runner. Yeah, yeah. for now, are you? Catherine, anyone who's looking to make contact with you to avail of your services, how can they do that? Um, by call. Do you want to give I, out? Your, actually, we'll hold your number yeah. here because you don't want to be giving it out. But anyone who's uh, maybe looking to to avail of the no, services, you can. Uh, you can yeah, go on. Put it on it. So it's oh eight six one six nine nine seven eight five. Perfect. And we'll have it here then for anyone who's missed that. Catherine, we wish you all the best with it. And when you become an online sensation, then in a few months, we'll be following you. We'd love to have you on again. OK. That's perfect. Yeah, thank Great. you. Thanks, Catherine. That's uh, Catherine Buckley there from Tipperary, uh, from Donna, actually, in Nina, who's become Ireland's first female hoof trimmer. We're back after this. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Today, a listener says, I never agree with Leo Varadkar, but he's right to make that statement in relation to Israel. It's the bare minimum he could do in the face of an ongoing genocide, says one listener. Keep those texts coming into us. 83 or 18 Many people are convinced of the idea that places and buildings can be haunted. But do you think that objects and even clothes can be haunted? Anne Massey is with the Irish Paranormal Investigations and she joins me now. Anne, good morning. Good morning, Chief. Good to talk to you this morning, Anne. You've been researching this possibility that clothes and even objects can be haunted. What have you found? Well, the first thing to do is to go back to the premise that when you're dealing with the paranormal that you're talking about energy. <clears throat> and as you know, energy is neither created or destroyed. It's only converted, proved in science. So I set about, first of all, looking at the scientific background and discovered that actually uh, clothes can produce energy um, anyway. So, for example, some scientists uh, done a study where they used water, wet clothes as a... Um, a conductor 
and uh, charged a supercapacitor enough to, to let a light bulb go off wow. uh, just, just through clothing. And uh, it's now evolved since that they're now scientists in several universities across the world are now actually creating clothing that can generate its own electricity. So that covers some respect of the energy, the scientific element of clothing. So um, then when you set about, you think things like how much clothing means over time to people. You know, like if you've lost a loved one, clearing out the clothing is obviously the most difficult and emotionally charged part of that particular process. You have wedding dresses being handed down generation to generation. The Aran Islands with the stitches where they've, uh, you know, the knitted jumpers where they've used them to send their, their fishermen husbands off to sea and some not returning and how that's imbibed over time. So if you take that premise and you, you know, believe that obviously buildings and natural stone absorbs the energy and creates hauntings, um, why not clothing? So would you be saying that the former owners of clothing would in some way, uh, not haunt, but maybe create an energy um, specific to them that would then attach itself to the clothing and then stay long after they're dead? That, to me, sounds more probable than an actual haunting haunting. Uh, for example, uh, at the Museum of Style Icons in Newbridge, uh, I was there recently, and they have an amazing collection. They had a lot of Princess Diana's items, um, such as the revenge dress, the India dress, where, you know, we've all seen that image yeah. of her sat front the Charge Mahal, her engagement blouse. And, and as an empath, I actually really could really feel the emotions of energy. And if you look at the, the, char the charged emotions of the lady herself when she was wearing those garments, it, you could feel it kind of almost radiating off the same uh, with garments belonging to the likes of Audrey Hepburn, Marilyn Monroe, uh, Grace Kelly, that kind of thing. Um, and there was, a, there was actually, uh, going back about 15 years in New York, um, uh, a woman took uh, a psychic to uh, a high-end vintage clothes shop in New York that had a lot of uh, famous items of clothing within it. And as he was going down the line, um, he was looking at, he had like Jimi Hendrix jacket. And first thing he said, no, that's fine. That's clean. That's nothing. Whoever had this has moved on. They're happy out. Yeah. But when they got to a particular obscure designer, he was, uh, no, there's a lot of anger and bad energy coming off of these garments. It turned out that that particular designer had been stabbed to death. So, you know, it, a lot of it's going to come down to what you believe in, but it's, it's so much so that there are actual rituals for cleansing. There's prayers for cleansing of clothing and items and what have you. Um, and, and they can change behaviours as well when, when people are, are wearing them. So, you know, the idea that this aura is attaching itself to uh, garments, which, which again, there's a proof that they carry frequency um, and the more organic the material, the, the higher the level of frequency. For example, linens and wools are through the roof. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that would time with them being able to carry more of a person's energy. And an attachment, if there's an emotional uh, disturbance at the time that they were wearing them. And do you believe, does that energy that's um, that's in the clothes, can that then be transferred to the person that's wearing them or will it always stay in the item of clothing? 
Well, that would depend on the person that's wearing them and what they're able to absorb. So, for example, if you're one of life's sensitives or empaths, um, there's potential that you could draw in some of that negative energy. Um, you know, if you're a psychic, you'd probably be able to pick up on on absolutely everything that went on. Um, but for the layperson, for the most part, they'd, they'd, it, I, it would probably stay within um, and not have too big an impact. Um, but if you tie that in with haunted objects as well, which have been going around uh, for centuries, yeah. the idea that the, and, and it, those particular objects would usually be natural materials like your wood, um, porcelain, you know, obviously stuff made from clay and so on and so on. And then you can tie that into the fact that, you you know, the Jewish legends where you can bring a life force into a golem and so on and so on. Yeah. Um, it, it's absolutely fascinating research and the possibilities are endless. The fact that you can actually tie it in with scientific proof that our everyday clothing can hold energy and frequency is, is actually something quite astounding and not what I was expecting. I'm sure somebody in your field is very well aware of the Ed and Lorraine Warren Museum in the United States and that is a full museum of items that they believe to be haunted. So this mm-hmm. isn't a new theory like you said. It, it isn't. I, I'm actually um, friends with, with the Warren's son-in-law. and really? somebody who's worked, Yeah, and, and uh, another chap that's worked with them and Father Malachi Martin who was doing the exorcisms for the church and he's worked with him and everything else and um, they, they fully believe, I haven't been myself but they do fully believe themselves that these particular items for that reason, the energy, the holding of whatever and, and you know it can be a positive energy as well, it could be that somebody is so sort of joyed and happy, for example the wedding dress that hands down generation to generation happy day uh, the positive energy coming off of it, but obviously with the Warren Museum, it's it's, it's mainly of the negative yes. uh, persuasion. Uh, there's one doll in that museum, the Annabelle doll, I think a lot of people will be aware of. Uh, people can't even look at that doll or you're told you'll be cursed. Uh, there's cases of people who insulted the doll or pushed the, the case that the doll is held in and then died very shortly afterwards. So I know a lot of people will be listening to this and maybe scoff a little bit, but... You know, these are things that we just don't understand. No, and we do, you do, you know, there, there is some, you, you kind of would take with an element of a pinch of salt, you know, the way that urban legends, they all come from an element of truth, a grain of salt of truth, should we say. Everything has a starting point and it escalates. Um, but, uh, you know, you only have to look at the, the Peshogue, the Irish yeah. curse. Uh, where that is more a state of mind and the fear factor with the the farmer that thinks his cattle has been cursed and diseased will slaughter the field of cattle. And he's done that to himself, but it's the power of the Peshogue that's done it, Yeah, if you like. So it, it, it's very much an intertwining of, uh, if, if you like, the state of mind, um, the power of the folklore, the legend... And going back to that original grain of truth and where it all stemmed from. So that's the fascinating part. It always raises more questions than answers. Um, But if there is anyone out there that's actually thinking, oh, I've got a night in my clothing, doesn't make me feel comfortable or whatever, there are online, there's a number of of ways that people say you can cleanse a particular item. The same way that you cleanse a home, 
using your bundles of white sage, your prayers and blessings. Um, uh, people have said, you know, leaving clothes in sunlight, uh, sprinkling on lavender and rosemary, which are historically known to or said to ward off evil, uh, and even using crystals, uh, those kind of things for anyone that was concerned. Um, but, you know, where there's proof of energy, there's, there's proof of existence. You said so, you, you got feelings from Princess Diana's dresses. Can I ask what, what mm, kind of energy or feelings did you get from those items of clothing? I actually found them very confusing. Um, so to me, I, I felt um, so many mixed emotions. Like, for example, the night she went out with the revenge dress, the same night that Prince Charles was doing his interview. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people think, oh, she might have been angry or whatever. But now the senses I was getting from it were, were completely conflicted, bewildered. Um, the same with the India dress. Um, lonely. Loneliness was huge coming off of them. Um, um, uh, the, whereas when you go back to the earlier stuff, the engagement blouse and, and the toil wedding dress, which is basically the last one... Um, that the dressmakers put onto her to make sure it's fitted before they used the official material. You know, you could feel that was full of positive energy. Yeah. Um, and and then it was like chalk and cheese then when you're going to, to kind of the, the garments towards the end of her, her royal um, career and marriage, as it were. It, it, was, it, was, it was sad. I'll be honest with you, it felt very, very sad. And there's going to be people now saying you're putting them off going to charity shops now to get clothes. But what advice? Not at all. <laughs> you know, you you know, you point into the the fact that um, you you know, like I said, unless you're really kind of tuned in as an empath or a sensitive, it, it would be no different than you walking into, um, you know, Let Castle yeah. or, or somewhere that's only wanted. And you know, if you you don't pick up on energies, you're not going to pick it up on the clothes any more than you would walking into the castle. Okay. That's the way to look at it, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, for the most part, you know, these clothes, as I said, that research back in um, back in New York, you know, out of a, a whole shop of vintage clothes, there was one garment this guy picked up on. Yeah. Um, you know, so... It, 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 it's how you are and how you kind of adapt to, to these things. If, if you know, unless, like I said, unless you're an empath, unless you're sensitive, you, you're not going to necessarily feel these energies. And if you get something, and if you get any kind of vibe off it, just you, you know, just leave just, it there. Leave it there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm one of these ones. If in doubt, do now. <laughs> you know. Um, you know. You know yourself. Use your instincts. I think over time people have just lost that from the fight or flight to gut instinct, which is how the human race has survived. Mm. Um, that's lost um, over time, and you know, with with our minds getting so busy, just start using your gut instinct again. If it doesn't feel right, leave it. But if it does, or if you feel a sense of joy when you, as you would with a new item of clothing, yeah. when you pick it up. You feel that sense of joy, then buy it. And embrace it. And lovely to talk to you this morning. Thanks so much for that. Okay, lovely to talk to you. Take care. That's Anne Massey there from the Irish Paranormal Investigations. If you have any haunted clothing or getting bad vibes even from clothing, we'd love to hear from you. 83 We're back after this. If it matters to you, 
It matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Welcome back to Tip Today. Jimmy and Thurlis said the All Blacks were haunted last Saturday to beat us in the rugby. I don't know, were we haunted to lose it, Jimmy? I'm not sure. Depends what way you look at it. Another listener says it's not the vibes from the clothes, I fear. It's the person in the clothes itself. Uh, Patrick also wondering, uh, where did that lady see the Princess Diana display? I'm interested in going. That's at the Museum of Style Icons in Newbridge in County Kildare, Patrick. Keep those texts coming in to us 83 311 or 1800-938-007. There's a fantastic new book researching folk cures and remedies that have been used in Ireland for generations. Cecily Gilligan has been researching the area of folk cures and remedies for over four decades now. And I'm delighted to be joined on the line by her this morning. Good morning, Cecily. Good morning, Alison. Thank you for having me on your show. My pleasure. It's such an interesting, interesting topic. And tell me, where did your interest in it come from? Well, I suppose it came from my childhood. Uh, I grew up in rural county Sligo and the cures are very much part and parcel of life in in the countryside. And we just, you know, we availed of them for people and for animals. So uh, I kind of was just very familiar with it. I've always been very interested in folklore as well and the old traditions. And then when I was at university in Cork in the late 1980s, I had done research into the area of the folk cures. And uh, I subsequently came back. I've always kept an interest in it, but I came back to it then around uh, 2005 and I started seriously back in trying to write this book. And I went out and interviewed lots and lots of people around Ireland that have cures, over 90 people that have herbal and faith cures. Um, so that's where it came from. And would people still use folk cures to this day? Yes, they do. That's the interesting thing. So what, I, what I've done is I've researched the cures that are alive and well and still in use. So people might think it's, it's very old, and it is a very old tradition, hundreds, probably thousands of years. But there are still many cures in existence and in use. Now, you have to look for them, um, and they're usually just, uh, it's word of mouth. You put out the, the message that you need a cure for shingles or gallstones or you've got a burn or whatever it is, and then, you know, people will help you to find it. Yeah, I know. Now, I would. are they more actually popular in rural or urban areas? I'd imagine it's rural. <laughs> Yes, it's definitely rural. That was my experience. Now, I didn't do a lot of research in the cities like Dublin, but uh, definitely in the rural country, the rural areas. You know, that's where they've always survived and thrived, and they're definitely still there. And a lot of the people that would make the cures would would be from a farming background or living in the countryside or small villages. One that comes to me, and I'd be from a rural area, so I'd know a few of them, but one I remember yeah. is if you have warts when you're young, that you put a slug on the wart and then put the slug <laughs> in the hawthorn tree, and when it dies, the wart will die. Is is that a yeah. mad one, or have you heard of that one? No, I've heard of something similar. I haven't actually documented that, but I've documented many in my book. But uh, no, I've heard of something like that. It obviously sounds a little bit cruel, because I think the, <laughs> the, the slug, slug has to die. Yeah. But uh, I have more gentle ones, like it's all, it's all based on transference, basically that you basically are transferring the disease or the wart to uh, to something else. So a classic would be um, potato. Do you get uh, a documentary was in our man, it was in another little book, but a woman had, uh, a girl had very bad warts on her eyelid, I think, and uh, her mum said, rub, rub it with potatoes. And then you would bury the potatoes. You rub it on the wart, you'd bury the potato often in the earth in soft ground, maybe wrap it up in newspaper. And the idea is, yeah, as the wart disappears, um, sorry, as the potato disappears, the wart will also disappear. So it's that transference idea, very old in the Irish uh, folk medicine tradition. Yeah. How much of it then, I'm sure a lot of it can be maybe fobbed off as being a placebo effect almost. What's your thought on that? 
Yeah, well, I don't actually mention placebo at all in my book because I believe that uh, the people who give the cures, you know, they 100% believe that they are effective. And they would often say to me, because I always say, why do you make your cure? And they would say, well, I, uh, you know, if it wasn't effective, I wouldn't make it. And they feel it's effective most of the time. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think there's a placebo effect, I don't believe, because that's when you give something you feel, you know, it's recognises being an inactive mm. uh, substance. But what I do think is the cures also, they're not just physical. So, for example, if you've got the problem with the wart, um, it's not just a physical uh, a cure because I think there's a psychological and a, a spiritual dimension to yeah. it as well as a lot of the cures that involve prayers. And then, uh, you know, so that brings comfort and people like to say their prayers or somebody saying prayers on, for you. And then also I think there's a psychological element, a kind of a reassurance or a hope that might come with the cure because often it's quite a personal exchange. So, for example, uh, you're looking for, there's a heart cure uh, in existence. You go to see the man who makes the heart cure and, you know, he has a chat with you and he might give you a cup of tea and, you know, he listen to you and your problems and that's very reassuring and yeah. that's very helpful to people so I think all those things kind of combine to have helped cures to survive into the 21st century. There's also science behind a lot of them isn't there Cecilia because if you look at the case of the graveyard in Boho and West Fermanagh and that was where parishioners had the tradition of collecting a teaspoon of soil or what they described as blessed soil uh, from the grave of a late parish priest that was uh, Father James McGear and remarkably then a microbiologist found that in that soil there was a strain of streptomycus which was uh, kind of a, a genus of bacteria that's responsible for a lot of today's antibiotics so in a lot of these cases there is the science to back it up Yes, yes, there is. I mean, um, again, every every case would have to be investigated individually. But there's often uh, truth, things that have been in existence for, for many, many years. And you see, in the past, Alison, we had huge herbal knowledge and huge herbal lore in our country. Uh, but say in the last, well, even less than 100 years, 30, 50 years, I'm sure, I'm sure or more, um, we've been losing it gradually. And in the, you know, in those 50 years or 70 years ago, people relied very heavily on traditional cures and traditional medicine. Mm. And that would have been passed down from generations as many of the cures still are today. And also they would have learned just by trial and experiment what worked, what didn't work, and maybe observing what wild animals or your you know, your dog or something might eat. That might be an indication of what your animals, your cow might eat. That might be an indication of something that might be helpful and healing to them. So there was a huge study collect, uh, conducted in the 19, late 1930s by the Folklore Commission in Dublin and the school children of Ireland collected stories and tales from the older people in their communities. Yeah. Um, and cures were a huge part of that and the herbal cures um, cures existed so it was a very strong tradition in the past. There's a lot of text coming in I, I, and I hate to put you on the spot but a listener is wondering okay. is there any cure in the book for psoriasis? Yeah now psoriasis the um there would be a few courses. I don't actually give names and addresses, but I felt that would be unfair yeah. to people. I'm kind of looking at a bigger picture. But yeah, I know that I mentioned those some of those chronic skin conditions. Um, they can be the things that actually folk medicine do quite well with because they're things that are hard to shift and kind of ongoing problems. So there'll be a few healers to deal with that. Um, and I interviewed one woman in particular who had an eczema cure. She's there in the Midlands. So there's a few of that around. And the seven son and seven daughter tradition, often they will traditionally heal... Um, ringworm but some of them can also heal those chronic skin problems as well and the seventh daughter the seventh son basically that is when it's very old tradition yeah. in Ireland as well it's when you have seven children born consecutively so seven girls in a row or seven boys in a row and the seventh child is believed to have the healing power 
Yeah, it's incredible. And it's such an important and huge part of our history. And it would be a shame to see those recipes almost and, and cures lost, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. It would. And so I'm, that's what I'm hopeful. My book is a documentation of what currently exists in the early 21st century Ireland. And I think it'll be very valuable in 100 years time when people look back at it and say, you know, this is what, what existed in Ireland. So it's important to keep the record. And uh, yeah, I would urge people, because I'm sure there's people listening who have cures, if you have your cure and you can pass it on, please do, please consider. And before maybe you're too old, um, pass it on to maybe the next the younger generation. People often like to pass it on to within their family or someone they're fond of, basically. Yeah, and it's lovely the way it is passed on. Cecily, we're out of time, but I wish you all the best with the book. It's Cures of Ireland, a treasury of Irish folk cures. I presume that's available everywhere and online for anyone who's looking for it. Exactly. Uh, Merriam Press, uh, that's my publisher. They have it online and lots of other places and all the good bookshops. Listen, Gormila Mahagut, uh, Alison, Agslaw, my pleasure. Thanks listeners. so much, Thank you. Bye-bye. That's Cecily uh, Gilligan there. That book again, Cures of Ireland, a treasury of Irish folk cures. I'd love to hear about your folk cures. Another one I thought of, my childminder swears by, if you have a sty in your eye, uh, if you bless it with uh, a blessed wedding band, that'll cure it. And to be fair to Ella, it's always worked. Always worked. I'd love to hear yours. 83 311 Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to the final hour of this morning's tip today. Uh, we were talking about the, ho- the haunted clothes segment in the last hour, and a listener says for anyone that hasn't been to that place in Newbridge, it's lovely. It has a restaurant with lovely food food. Last time I was there a good while ago though there was a guy playing a piano. Also lovely items in the shop. It's Newbridge jewellery and Christmas decorations there as well. Uh, Also a listener says I'm not a great believer in faith things but our son was born with uh, I can't pronounce it hemi hypertrophy one side of his body smaller than the other visually smaller left leg and arm so he wasn't using the arm and naturally limp limp in the leg we took him to a faith healer at four years old after second and third visit he started using his arm after six or seven visits our four year old said ma'am it's my head burns as the man holds his hand over it he's now 27 and other than a small little piece he needs for his shoe you would never know that man I will always respect it blew me away that's from Liam uh, that's in relation to the folk cures and, and folk healing that we were speaking about as well just before 11. Keep those texts coming in to us 83 311 or 1800 One aspect of healing we can always rely on, of course, and that's our diet. So delighted to be joined as usual by Muriel Cuddy, CEO of Marito 8020. Muriel, good morning. Morning, Ali. How are you? I'm great this morning. Now, we always talk about how diet is such an important part of physical and mental health. And I suppose being seasonal when you're eating is very important because we're kind of heading into soup season and stew Mm. season now aren't we? It's funny because in clinic for the last two weeks especially I think the last week and a half and with the rain and the storms and everything every single person that's coming through is actually saying to me Muriel I have to change it up what am I supposed to do? And we did a little even on lunches like at the end of August coming into September. So I did a little on this piece. But I think the minute it starts raining and we have a storm like we actually had this week, yeah. the whole thing changes completely, doesn't it? And I asked I three lovely ladies that came in this week and I asked the three of them, what would you like to hear more about? What would you like to hear me talking more about? And all three said the same thing. Diet comes up, number one, every single time. And like 
the winter warm food, stuff like that now at this time. Supplementation was actually the other thing. There was one other thing and we'll talk about it at the end and that's finishing out things. So you might ask me about that yeah. at the very end. But when I started talking about that, it was like a big deal. OK, so the girls will know the wonderful ladies that come through because they are wonderful, Ali. We have some, you have the most wonderful listeners. We and, do. And those wonderful We're listeners blessed. come into me in clinic and like the crossover or whatever is there. So, yeah, I just I can't can't speak highly enough about it. But anyway, we we need to consume foods at this time of the year that take longer to digest. OK, mm. because the body temperature rises during digestion. So that actually speeds up our metabolism and that warms us up when we're colder. So we need to like you're talking about fibrous foods, you know, foods that it just takes you a little bit longer. If you're to, if you eat foods like that are the simple carbs that I talk about all the time, say like croissants at breakfast time, even white bread, pastries, things like that. They digest quickly, so they don't keep the body warm. So and you're then, talking brown bread and stuff like that. Yeah, brown breads and stuff like that. Yeah, but I'll get into that in a minute. But um, I've I've spoken about this before, right? So um, your heart health is so important. So when the temp- temperatures drop, heart attack, strokes, and other heart-related conditions, they go up massively. Really? Yeah, yeah. So like at this time of the year, there are more heart attacks and strokes, etc. Like cold weather makes your heart work harder to keep warm. So it's important that we do things to actually try and help help keep our heart warm. Um, and there was what, what was the study? I'll come back to the study in a minute, I think, because I need to talk about that in a second, right? But when you're talking about simple things, then I just want to run down quickly through. Have you ever heard of the word diaphoretic? No. So diaphoretic are foods that keep the body warm from the inside out. Oh. Yeah. So like, you know straight away when you hear it. It, yeah, wasn't that one of yeah. the ones going to school? You could actually picture the child with the steam coming out his back. Internal <laughs> central heating, yeah. wasn't it? I actually loved Ready Break when I was warm and I was a fussy eater, but I actually yeah. loved Ready Break, yeah. So you're talking about things like soups, yes, but the things that you put into soups. So we're talking about like vegetables, yes, the under the ground root vegetables at this time are, are, are massive, right? But pulses, garlic, cumin, cinnamon, ginger, things like this are really important, like onions. These are all like these diaphoric, di- diaphoretic um, foods. Uh, sesame seeds. So sesame seeds are literally like um, immune boosters and all that kind of thing as well. And then ginger. So ginger boosts your metabolism and it increases blood flow. Ginger tea, green tea. So they're they're both um, drinks that warm you from the inside out. They speed up your metabolism. They help digestion. They increase blood flow to your your toes and your fingers. Mm. So that's really important because a lot of people have Raynards, etc. And even though I don't have it, my fingers get really cold most especially stand on a sideline or something yeah. like that and how long it takes to warm them up. So like instead of having your... Now, coffee is good too. So coffee definitely increases metabolism and raises your body temperature. So on a sideline, yes. But if you were to choose between a green tea or a ginger tea and coffee, I'd be choosing the teas instead. Oh, no. Sip them. <laughs> Are you one of these that goes around with the coffee in your hand for four hours? Not, no, I had to seriously cut back on coffee. I was up to about six cups a day. Oh, and I was going to the doctor going, okay. why am I so anxious all the okay. time? Okay. She said, probably the coffee. So I'd gone to one coffee and then decaf. Okay. But I'm down to about like one and three decaf. That's not too bad. But, you know, um, the research is there. You can have two or three coffees a day. Now she's going to go back up in the coffee. Sorry, shouldn't be no, saying No, I'm this not. Because no. But anyway, yeah. It's a slippery slope. Out or whatever, yeah. yeah. But, but you can have two to three cups a day. And like two cups are actually known now to be actually good for your gut health. Great. Yeah. So like for anyone that's listening, that's good. Like the caffeine gets a bad rap a lot of the time. But it's the overdoing it. Say like, yeah. yes, the six cups a day. And it's the time of the day that you take it yeah. at. So you definitely don't have a cup of coffee before you go to bed at night. You no. know. But yeah. So coffee is actually one of the good ones. Mulled wine is another good one. I love a mulled yeah. wine. And hot chocolate is another oh. one. So like, you know, the weekend 
weekends now, we're so good to polish a bottle of wine or half a bottle of wine or whatever. So to slow it down with something like a nice mulled wine and take your time, I think we're definitely at the time of the year we need to pull back a little. You definitely have to change everything completely from mm. what you would have been doing into like, say, July and August were miserable months anyway into September but I think coming now into October we have to get it right we've eight weeks coming up to Christmas time yeah. and I think if you don't eat right and don't eat well and you don't look after yourself you're going to start feeling really miserable like the dopamine serotonin and that come from the gut like 94% or 74% and 90% so like we have to look after that immune boosting gut health side of things yeah. you know that's really important I think what's difficult for people is that transition from maybe having the salads and the nice easy stuff that you can throw together yes. like soups and stew take work and they yeah. take a bit of time and it's difficult to make that transition yep it is and it isn't you see as in um, the salads take a little bit of time too and you have to have the food prep done I've said to every single person that's coming through that's struggling and a lot of people are really struggling with food and like how to do it and busy lives and whatever and even people that don't have busy lives are struggling and saying to me Muriel I don't know what to do I keep saying simplify it Definitely from Monday to Thursday, Friday, simplify it. You don't have to do like chilli con carnies and pasta bakes and God knows what. You don't have to put loads of time into it. You just have to do really simple food nicely. We were reared on really simple yeah. food. We knew every single day of the week what we were having. Yeah. So when we went home from school, it was like, yeah, bacon day or whatever it was, fish and chips on a Friday. But it was really simple. And it was literally meat, fish, veg. Uh, and your spuds yeah, you know and we all grew up fairly okay and there was none of the sicknesses or whatever mothers definitely are really trying to do everything I am getting so many mothers in and if they're listening you have to calm it down people that are like stressed out of their world or whatever of trying to be perfect there's no such word or no such world as anybody being able to be perfect Mm. so that simplify side it doesn't matter if it's not a dinner even in the evening time it can be something as simple as as a soup in the evening time and there's actually a lot of very good soups out there that you can buy that you don't even have to go and make your own especially during the week you know there's some that have four and five ingredients um, and you're looking at the back of them like that's fine once it goes to the eight nine ten and like even the own brand supermarket ones they're like what are they I think they're about 220 or 230 that's a really good lunch. Put it just feels like it's not healthy because it's coming in a pack, yeah. doesn't it? No, it, once it's not in a pack, it's in a powder. Once you look at the back, once you're not getting like all the big level of like emulsifiers and modified starches and stuff like that, like but the soups that start off with water and then they go with like the vegetables that you can actually read like carrots, you know, parsnips, whatever. Like one of the ones, am I allowed to mention names? Go on. Yeah. Well, one of the ones I found for years really good were the Avonmore soups. Yeah. They had like five or six ingredients in them. You knew exactly what was in them. They're in that carton that you screw the top off and you you warm it up. Now, I like taking soups out of cartons, put them in even to a lunchbox and add in like things like, you know, your baby potatoes, maybe spinach, maybe chilli, maybe things like that or whatever. And it changed the taste of them straight away. Yeah. Most of those kind of soups are kind of blandish because they're to cater for like, you know. Everyone. The numbers, yeah. Yeah. But you can change them up to suit yourself. But that's simplifying it. Like if you have porridge for your breakfast in the morning, in porridge you have vitamin B, vitamin B, you have magnesium, you have things like that, right? Which help the immune system and, you know, relaxation and all that kind of thing. There's also beta gluten in it. So beta gluten relaxes the gut. So like a porridge or wheat in the morning has to be your togota at this time of the year. Has gluten agitated the gut? No, it's a beta gluten. So it's not a gluten. It's a beta gluten. Right. It's it actually just relaxes the gut completely. So it's completely different to to the gluten that you're thinking yeah. about, right? But like porridge in the morning, your immune function, your heart health, all of that kind of thing. It's you know a powerhouse of you know. Now for some people, porridge works. For other people, within a half an hour they're starving. 
So you're either a porridge person or you're not. Yeah. I'm not a real lover of instant porridges because they're very ground down. So they're, they're making it more refined so that you can heat it up really quickly. I just like the old fashioned porridge oats. Yeah. A little bit of milk, water, honey berries, whatever you want to put on it and you're good to go. Wheat Bix is another really good breakfast. Eggs mm. is another really good breakfast. Put it with your like high fibre brown bread. They're three breakfasts and you're ready to go and they're all warm, nourishing breakfasts. Yeah. Once you've had a breakfast in the morning and I do say this time of the year, a lot of people say I don't like breakfast. You do really need to eat by 10 o'clock but if you do eat in the morning you've switched on your metabolism, you've warmed up the body a little and you're good to go. You shouldn't really need to eat until lunchtime. So if you have a decent breakfast, I'm not a lover of drip feeding food in unless there's something wrong with blood sugars or whatever, you know. Mm. So lunchtime then is your, it's either a dinner from the night before. And I think that's fantastic. Yeah, very handy. Well, we don't need a dinner in the evening time. So if we're finished late and we're running around all day long and your system is up to 90, you sit down then in the evening, you have your dinner. And then your system has to wire, wind itself up again. Your digestion, di- digestive um, bloods and everything are, you know, going 90 to a dozen to burn off that food. Mm. So if you could have that food at lunchtime instead, you're definitely better off. So even if you cook a dinner and you have a smaller amount and then you, you flask the rest of it or lunchbox the rest of it and bring it for your lunch the next day, yeah. you're eating the same thing twice. But that's brilliant because like that's time saving and that's simplifying it. So yeah. like stir fries, stews, anything at all like that, casseroles, things like that, that you can even maybe do something on a Sunday and it lasts for two days. That's fantastic. It's probably where a slow cooker is your best friend too, isn't it? Slow cooker and air fryers. Yeah. They're definitely like, they've simplified life again. And I suppose maybe that's the lazy side. We actually think things are hard and we have to do, put a few things together. Whereas like, things are so much easier than what they would have been. Like, you would would have had to boil potatoes before. That's the thing. And fit over a hob for three hours. You can just toss it all in. And in and out. Like, I put dinner on and I have everything done by the time dinner is cooked literally yeah. like you've a load of washing in load of washing out dishwasher emptied like you've everything done mm. and your dinner is actually there ready to take out so there, there isn't really an excuse if you keep it simple like I'm not talking about I don't make sauces from scratch on a Monday to Thursday you know I don't put a load of work into a dinner a dinner is a dinner and they're fed and they're happy and they're delighted and they're gone off Yeah, and that's grand you know so we definitely need to simplify it but you're looking at stews stews are, are, are a big to go to broths are a big to go to so if you can do like a chicken broth or a bone broth or whatever, you can use that as your soup, you know, your, your, your what, what would you say, to put all your veg and all your bits and pieces into. But even to have them on their own, they're so good for the gut. Yeah. You know, the, the, the collagen on the inside of the stomach, the in, like it loves it. You know, yeah. it's like a liquid gold or whatever. When I was young, they used to put, um, my granny used to put a handful of, of barley into the soups and yeah. the broths as well. It was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. and that would fill it out. Yeah. You know, like, to get the fibre from other things, you know, that's that's brilliant. If you can keep out of, out of the soups, don't put cream in, don't put extra salt in, you know, and even like the saturated fat side, like of the red meats and stuff like that, if you can keep them to one side, you're definitely better. If you can use the, the non-saturated fat proteins, like beans and, you know, lentils and things like mm. that, that's definitely better coming into the winter time. And you're getting the extra source of fibre and the extra source of protein in it, you yeah. know, fills you up, like, yeah. In terms of fruit, then for snacking um, I always find that transition away from strawberries difficult I fight it even though you buy them anyway but they taste rotten they do you know and it's funny when you're talking about fruit it's definitely if you can get stuff locally so like like our wonderful apple farm out the road yeah. like the berries and everything there are fresh the apples and things like that so I always say to people and they say to me what veg can you eat I always say like the old fashioned veg that are grown here in Ireland are always your best bet you know but definitely bananas did I say that in the beginning a banana a day keeps the shivers away does it? That's the actual saying or whatever. Yeah, it's full of magnesium, full of vitamin B, you know. So, like, you can't go wrong. Berries, frozen berries even, I would say, you know, and even put your frozen berries on your porridge or something like that yeah. in the morning. Yeah, but your bananas are powerhouses, like, with your potassiums and things like that in them. Um, 
I think we definitely have less fruit in the winter time. Yeah. But you can definitely up your veg. So like, you know, the salad stuff is going to one side or whatever. But definitely apples, plums, pears, um, nectarines, all of those kind of things. I kind of steer people away from the more high GI fruits. So the high GI are like a fast release of sugar. I don't want fast releases of sugar because I don't want them to drop and then you're hungry for the wrong kind of foods what after. What fruits are those? So you're talking about like, say like, um, even though pineapple is very good for the gut, um, if you're watching the blood sugar side, pineapple, mango, um, watermelon as in the yellow watermelon, uh, grapes. There is a high level of sugar in bananas as well, but there's a lot of good in them too. So it mm. depends whether you're looking at the sugar side or not, you know. Um, kiwis have a decent level of sugar, but there's a lot of vitamin C in them. There's double the amount of vitamin C in kiwis, you know. So yeah. it's kind of managing it really. I'd say to people, if they're trying to watch the blood sugars, I would say bananas, grapes, uh, the watermelon, the pineapple, mangoes, things like that. You know, the ones that taste lovely that yeah. you actually want and the ones that you have on holidays that taste gorgeous. Yeah, so those ones kind of. Berries in abundance have to come on the top of the list for every single thing, regardless of what way you eat them. If you just have a punish of blueberries every single day, you're good to go. Ah. Full of antioxidants. They are top of the list as a superfood. That and green tea. So yeah. yeah, put them on your cereal in the morning or bring them with you. And if you're having an 11 o'clock, have them at 11 o'clock. What's, what I'm finding hard this transition into autumn, winter as well, is you'd get into your habit of going for your walk every evening and you could push mm. it out maybe to 8 or 9 o'clock if you had to. Now you're under pressure. If you don't get out maybe by 5 or 6 o'clock, that's probably it. Yeah. Maybe and maybe not. You know, they, they, they have them um, they, or they'll have them the next week or two in Little and Aldi. You know, the torches you put around the top of your head. But it's so dark, Muriel. I know, but you have to. You have If you don't get up in the morning to do it, that you can't do it early morning. And I, I keep saying to people as well, it doesn't have to be like that you're gone for an hour. Yeah. Even 20 minutes is enough. And even that 20 minutes helps that when you sit down, you're not going to go snacking on every yeah. single bit of rubbish that's in the house. It's just enough to switch on the endorphins to say, I've done something now, I feel a bit better. And the depression side, especially in Ireland, comes in massively from this time of the year. Is it next week the clocks go back? Yeah, next week. I think you have no choice. You've got to do some form of exercise at least three times a week. Yeah. And even if it's only for 20 minutes, you have to do that 20 minutes. And I said to people, we can't go out on the road, we can't. I'm like, walk around the house, walk up and down the avenue. Yeah. Just do something that you're slightly out of breath because the minute you're slightly out of breath, the body is going to know straight away that it's doing something and everything else falls into place. Please, 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 don't buy rubbish for the next eight weeks. Oh, do not Muriel. have rubbish in the press. I know Fran was here, he killed me now, he'd be saying how lovely it is and all the bits. I hate Halloween. I do too. I, I hate Halloween with a passion. My yeah. lads come back with bags of absolute, I'm not going to say the word, I'll say rubbish, but they come back with rubbish that's there since last Christmas out of people's houses, like the sticky roses and stuff like that. Yeah, I hate that. And Quality Street. Oh, quality and they turn street. it upside down in the middle of the floor and they're like, yeah. and I'm, I'm looking at them thinking, oh my good Lord, this is like whatever to Christmas and all of that rubbish is just, yeah. But whatever about Halloween, we'll just let that go by the by, right? But um, don't bring rubbish in. Because if you buy biscuits and stuff at this time of the year, buy what you like that's nice, yeah. that you can have a little of. Uh, nuts, dark chocolate, Kelkin popcorn, things like that. If you want something to snack on, yeah, that's absolutely fine. But if you bring in the bars of normal chocolate, you bring the biscuits in, you're going to eat them. Yeah. The minute you come in, you're miserable after a long day. Like if there's a bottle of wine sitting on the counter looking at you. It's talking to you. It's yeah. literally like you're going to open it. The minute you start, one never, like for anyone, one is never enough. Like me yeah. included, like it's very hard to have discipline. So just don't buy them for the next few weeks. And at least if they're not in the house and you're walking around the house looking for something, you've no choice but to go for whatever's left. Yeah, literally. the good stuff. The good stuff, yeah. yeah. Tell me before we finish up about what you were saying at the beginning about finishing out things. Yeah, about finishing out things. Can I just say about the yeah. bright, bright light, first of all? A 300 watt bulb, three foot away from you for 20 minutes, three three times a day is, is really important. 
important for anyone that suffers from SAD, etc. for this time of the year. Okay, so get the 300 watt bulb three times a day for 20 minutes. Okay, right. just three foot away from it. It's just for the SAD ah. piece, yes. The sunlight piece that you're missing. The finishing out things. I'll do a piece on this one week, right? But I just feel we don't finish out anything. Our kids don't finish out anything. And if they don't watch us finishing out things, how can they actually follow suit? Or how can they? How can that piece be ingrained into them? We start things, so many things. We start a book and we don't finish it. And we start two or three books or whatever. People are coming into me and they start. Now, a lot of people are very good and they're really getting with it. But if you started me, you've got to finish it. If you don't finish it, there's no point thinking within four, three or four weeks that it's going to actually work for you. Mm. So if you're given something to do or there's something in your head, if you decide I'm going to drink two litres of water for the next whatever. By the way, if you're dehydrated in wintertime, you're going to feel the cold. Your body can't regulate itself. Oh. So you have to have enough water in your system for your body temperature to regulate itself. So if you decide today I'm going to drink two litres of water, you have to stay doing it. We don't finish out anything anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I just think that's like the positive piece comes from the discipline of actually being able to finish out something. Because then you're creating the habit, aren't yeah, you? you're creating the habit. Yeah. And you know with the kids, like how many different things do they start? And we don't make them finish them out anymore. Yeah. Remember in our day, in, our day, in the olden days, <laughs> Jesus, she thinks she was ancient. Have we no shoes? Yes. Have we nothing? We went to school on a bike with Bunty <laughs> on the back. Do you remember the Bunty comic? Yes. <laughs> but yeah, uh, but we were made, we weren't allowed to start anything. Like yeah. you weren't, like if you were, had to start. But I just find it now, people don't finish out things. And if you don't, if you're starting something and you have the discipline to finish it out, you just get that 1% better every single day or every single week. What if you start it and you don't like it? Should you give yourself like, look, I'll do it for six months and we'll see then? Oh, I think you have to. I think yeah. you have to. I heard you talking about your little fella yesterday and the, oh, my heart doing the broke. GA and that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, And there is a certain level of... We don't have to be the pushy parent. But you know, if a child is really into sport or really into music or into something, we give them everything under the sun and we do kind of push them because we know the the, the talent and everything is there. Yeah. So I know if somebody isn't into something, you shouldn't push them. But I think you still have got to give them the level of discipline that there's certain things you've got to do for your health. Yes. So like you have to eat well for five days a week, like 80% of the time. If they're not into sport, they have to go for a walk or they have to go out and I just get killed for this. So my second wasn't big into sport. I was like you, so busy trying to find things yeah. that you could do, etc. I used to make her go out the back and do a thousand skips. And I used to get killed for it. And it was like, I can't believe you're actually making her do that. I bought about six trampolines. I bought the, the gym mats and the beams and all the bits and pieces just to try and find something. And when I do it, I'd make her do it and I'd get killed for it. Really? But it worked. It worked because now there is no, like, she has it, like as in, that, that consistency piece is there because yeah. the discipline was there from the beginning. So now she's in college and she does it. So without me having to even ring and say or talk to her or whatever, I know, you know, she'll say, you know, she's part of the trampoline club now and she's part of the basketball club or whatever and she's part of the book club. So like, yeah, that worked. So, so I'll keep cracking the whip. Well, don't kill me now. <laughs> I think to a certain extent it has to happen. Yeah, it has to happen. It's hard to know what to do. Yeah, Muriel, yeah. always a pleasure. Anyone who's looking to make contact with you. Yes, can, can I just that? say, Ali, the phone yeah. lines exploded last week after we said we had the free aesthetic consultations for people. So I think right. people were kind of maybe afraid even of that side of it or whatever. So we've opened another day. So anyone that rings from now until seven this evening they are still entitled to a free consultation. Great. And that's just for our year anniversary. So you have to ring either between now and seven o'clock and there is only one day with limited spaces. Right. Okay, so if you're listening, get on the phone. Expect so, a rush. Well, yeah, well, from last week, I just thought we're just giving a little back because like I said, the PM listeners are so good. We just want to make sure we're looking after them. So our number is 52 61 Okay, and we'll have that number here then as well. But that's only yep. between now and seven this now evening. Now and seven this evening. Okay. Yeah. All right. That phone's going to be hopping. Thanks, okay. Muriel. Thanks, Sally. 
Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry in association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie. Welcome back to Tip Today. We got a couple of questions in from Muriel. I didn't get a chance to put them to her, but uh, we'll hold them over for next week. So just in case you're wondering, we will ask her next week on those questions. Okay, uh, George and Nina was on to us as well. He said, I got a parking ticket for parking on the racecourse road on Sunday the 15th after attending the county hurling final. It said that I parked on a footpath, but it was more of a hard shoulder. Uh, no ticket on the car window. Just wondering how many got tickets that day and I won't be going to the replay because of it. That's from George. Let us know if you got a ticket as well. Uh, 1800 938 or 083 Now, Eamon is in Ballycahill for this week's Down Your Way. Former Tipstar editor and prolific GA author Noel Dundon launched his latest book, Pat Stakelum, Legend of the Ash, on Saturday evening, profiling the colourful life and times of the late Holy Cross native and GA legend Pat Stakelum. Uh, I've seen that book around and I'm, I'm probably going to have it on my Christmas list. Well done to Noel on it. I know it's a huge volume of work and looking forward to getting into it. It's an incredible story and well done to him on it and the work he put into it. Uh, Eamon though began for January speaking to Tom Gallagher, former principal of Balakal National School about the book and Pat's legacy. I didn't get to know Pat because he was living in Thurles, I was living in Balnahow, but he was a native of Balnahow and he always Anyone that came from Bellinahow was a friend of Pat because he, he never really left. His heart was always in his native place. And I met him once, uh, way back in 2002, on the 29th of September, he unveiled a plaque to the men who were responsible for getting the community field here in Ballycal, as it was then, uh, off uh, the Land Commission who were dividing uh, the Castle Fogarty estate. And uh, how, what happened was that I came to the, to the unveiling of the plaque and Pat had a poem. And when the yearbook was coming up, I wanted the poem. So I went into Pat and asked for the poem. And of course, we chatted and we talked and he told me many stories about the different, uh, and the different uh, highlights in his life, really. And of course, the highlight that he always would bring down would be the 1949 final. Of course, it's very fitting tonight that uh, Noel Dundon, uh, we all know Noel Dundon uh, from the Tiberi Star and all the rest, um, had wrote this book or helped to write it with, with uh, a number of others, with the family. Yes, he did. And the family paid him a great compliment, saying he was so patient and so with it and so competent in doing it and gathering all the information and the stories. He gave me a book yesterday evening. We were setting up the hall here and he gave me a book going home last night. I went home at 11 o'clock and I saw a bed at three. I could not put the book down. And, you know, I'm not related to Pat Stateland. I'm not, I'm, I'm not even a Balnahow man, even though I'm living in Balnahow. I'm a blowing. But I could not put the book down. I was absolutely enthralled by the book. It is a credit to Noel and to all the family. The lovely stories. You know, stories of when we were growing up. Mm-hmm. It would remind you, again, of our own childhood. Simple stories, as they say. Simple stories, when life was simple, uncomplicated, uh, you played in the fields, you worked hard, uh, you know, if you were reared in a farm, you knew what hard work was, because it was all manual labour back then. Mm-hmm. And you cycled to school if you were lucky to have a bike. Otherwise you walked. Absolutely. Look, he, he was a treasure to know, as I say, and indeed uh, captain of the 49 team, and uh, indeed, uh, look at, everyone looked up to Pat Stakeland, didn't they? 
They did. Everybody who met Pat Stakelham, I don't think he ever had an enemy. I couldn't imagine him having one because he was such a gentleman. He was always a man of great uh, composure and there was a peace about him, you know, mm-hmm. that he, he, he carried. And that was his dignity and his... And I think it was his rearing, you know. His, his, his home was just, I'd say, a lovely home, full of love and conversation and joy and... We'll be meeting the family later on. Tom, there's a special presentation here tonight, and you're very much behind it. Um, because when he was the 48, 49 captain, um, he brought home the bike, or the cup, the Lee McCarthy cup, on his bicycle. Yes. Hard to believe that. Well, that's one of the stories he told me. And I couldn't remember where I heard it, uh, or when I heard it, but I heard it from Pat's own mouth, that he came to the station uh, in the train to Thurles, with the McCarthy Cup. And uh, we're told that they put the McCarthy Cup on the back of the bike and then they went into Buggles for a meal. And then he cycled out with his brother, I think, on the, on the bar of the bike and the McCarthy Cup on the, on the carrier. And uh, then when the family, uh, you know, when Pat died some years back and then his wife, Nancy... And I knew Nancy quite well. She was a lovely lady. But when Nancy died, Nora and Mary asked me to go in and they gave me the bike. And they said, we'd love that bike to go to Ballycal because my father loved Ballycal. That's what they said. And I took the bike and I spent a, a good lot of while now, a good while, scrubbing it up and cleaning it up. But I did not paint it. I didn't want to, to have it too gaudy looking. And I cleaned it up. And tonight we have it... Uh, we have it... Um, on display here with the McCarthy Cup and the carrier. Will you tell me, how did you get the McCarthy Cup from the Limerick team? There you are now, Declan Hannon, Hannon, Declan Hannon couldn't get it, but we got it. <laughs> and I'll tell you no more. We won't go into that, no, that's okay. Yeah. But Pat had a great philosophy in life, and his philosophy was always make sure children have a place to play. Ah, lovely. Great to hear Tom as well. Tom, of course, doing great work with the Tip Barnell project as well. And I was delighted to meet him a couple of times. Well done, Tom. That's just a taste of this weekend's Down Your Way with Eamon O'Dwyer. That's on Saturday morning from 10 o'clock. Uh, big hello as well to Anya who's listening in. Hi, Anya. She said she's not giving up the coffee despite what Muriel is telling us. Drink away your coffee, girl. You'll be all right. Uh, now we're moving on to uh, an event that's taking place up in Nina in the coming days. Tomorrow night, the CBS Primary School, a new institute snooker club will jointly hold the grand glamorous fashion show at the Abbey Court Hotel. All funds raised will go towards the development of facilities within both organisations. I'm delighted to be joined now by William Green, who's principal of Nina CBS. Yes, also Brendan O'Donoghue from the New Institute Snooker Club. But I'll start with William first. William, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us today. Good morning, Alison. Thanks for having me on. Not at all. Tell me about this event. Uh, when is it taking place? I'm sure a lot of work has gone into it. You're into the final the final furlong of it now. Into the final furlong, is right. Um, so as you said there, the, the Grand Summer's Fashion Show is taking place uh, tomorrow evening in the Abbey Court Hotel with um, all funds going towards our own school, CBS Primary School and the New Institute Snooker Club. Um, so proceedings kick off at 7 o'clock with a wine reception followed by the show itself um, at 8 o'clock and it promises to be a fantastic fantastic evening but as you mentioned there a minute ago a huge amount of work has gone into preparation and uh, we're getting towards the, the big show now tomorrow night really looking forward to it as well on the night we're going to have a vast array of shops boutiques and designers uh, presenting 
their autumn winter collections for both men and women. We'll have jewellery on display and to be a wedding section to the, the fashion show as well. So your listeners will probably be very familiar with some of the, the shops and the boutiques and designers that will be staying there and floating on the night. We have Marion Murphy Cooney, Isha Carey Studio, M. Lou Designs, Pamela Scott Fashion. We have Bourne, Newton, Nina here, uh, Owen Paul, Nina, Aniva, Joanne's Killaloo, Soha, the Stafford Bridal, Lisa Baker Boutiques, uh, Slattery Clothing, Talbot Menswear and Broad Jewellers. So all in all, I think there's something there for everyone. We're really looking forward to a great night. Absolutely. I'm sure nights like these wouldn't be possible without the support from local businesses, like you mentioned. No, you said it. We've had a terrific response locally in the community and from further feeds as well. So I want to say a huge thanks to all the businesses who have supported us and the individuals who have um, donated as well. And there's a, a big crew as well of volunteers who put in a countless amount of hours preparing for uh, tomorrow night. I want to say a huge thank you to them as well. Absolutely. As some of those local businesses who have supported us um, in preparation for tonight or tomorrow night will be displaying uh, trade stands there tomorrow night as well. So 26 from here in Nina, Deerans Pharmacy, McCleary, uh, Galileo Wine, in the tourist office, the Stafford, Away With Nature and some local artists, uh, Edwina Knight and Jane McLaughlin will be there as well. And so we have a, a very special performance as well from UT Theatre Academy Nina Stephanie Brown. Uh, really looking forward to that. And that was to end the, the night then. We will have Ebony entertaining the audience that today as well. So really looking forward to that. Oh, fantastic. It sounds like it's going to be a great night. The proceeds then as well. I know it's split between a New Institute, a New Institute Snooker Club and CBS Primary as well. What will this funding be used for and how vital is it for you? Look, funding in uh, primary school is vital. I might talk about the, the primary school part of it and I'll let Brendan maybe um, go on about the Snooker Club. Yeah. But um, I suppose last year for CBS Primary School, we took in uh, junior infant girls and boys for the first time. So we're now a, a co-ed school from junior infants to sixth class. Some of the funds raised tomorrow night. We'll go towards enhancing the resources for our, our junior infants here inside in the school. And we're hoping to further enhance our, our special education provision in the school as well. We uh, currently have what we call nurture groups in the school that are helping children with difficulties um, maybe as a result of maybe external factors and they're having difficulties accessing the learning. So some of the money raised tomorrow night will go towards uh, enhancing that nurture space, nurture room inside in the school. And as you mentioned, their funding for, for all schools is vital. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, don't get enough funding uh, from other sources uh, to make sure that we're able to run our schools where we would like to on a daily basis. So the funding is definitely going to that regard. Absolutely, I can imagine. Uh, William, just uh, stay on the line there because Brendan O'Donoghue from New Institute Snooker Club is with us as well. Hiya, Brendan. How are you, Alison? Good Thanks to so talk to you this morning. Not at all. Now, I know this funding for tomorrow night is going to be split. Tell us about the importance of the funding for your organisation. Yeah, a couple of years back, we, we took on a leader grant to, to refurbish the club, and it was over 120,000, and we're still, we're still paying that back. It started around 2020, and COVID kind of hit and slowed us down. We weren't able to fundraise. We had to go on kind of interest-only payments and things like that, and we were tipping along, so we decided to have... A big go at it. Um, some of our some of our committee have a background in in the fashion area, and some of the lads off the off the um, school committee the same. And we decided to work together and have a go at this. And hopefully it'll turn out great. As William said, he's gone through everything. I think from start to finish in the show. He didn't mention that he's walking down the catwalk himself. Ah, uh, William, he never so said that. He, he, he never mentioned that. And he admitted he omitted that. <laughs> Why you better uh, get it in? <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, no, it's absolutely, it's vitally important. We've 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 a very successful club. Um, we range from underage players to, to lads playing in, in the over 55s. We, we kind of compete at all levels and just keep the place going. We needed 
we needed more support on it. We needed the place to be upgraded. We put in about 50,000 installation, new fixtures and fittings. We needed air to water, um, air conditioning units and stuff. So we need, we need to pay off all that. But this mm. is where we're going. And hopefully it'll work out brilliant for us. Yeah, how many members do you have, did you say, Brendan? Uh, we've up, to up around 100 members. Brilliant. But most of those are kind of hardcore members coming in all the time. Like, we'd always, an opportunity for me maybe to welcome more members yeah. if they want to get in touch with us. Our numbers on it's easy to find us on Facebook and the New Institute Snooker. But um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a very, very successful club. We're there since 1887. So we hopefully will, it, it, it's under our, our, our um, management now to try and keep it going and, and keep it there for another 100 years. Absolutely, because it's a unique old thing. I mean, there isn't, I, I, maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, but there aren't a lot of snooker clubs around the county, are there? Uh, there's, a, there's a club in Templemore. There's a club going to open up in Turles soon. There's a club in Clanmel. So there's not there's not too many, but there's still a few. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it's it's huge on the continent in Europe at the moment, and it's died a little bit in the home nations in Ireland, I suppose. But hopefully we'll we'll, we'll bring it back. It, it's very popular in you know CYMSs and parish halls and things like that. So hopefully where where it's cheap, you know, it got very expensive. Obviously, large buildings they're better in commercial units and things like that lately, and it was much more expensive to play, to play snooker. Yeah. So clubs like ourselves, small clubs who still offer a cheap rate of snooker, somewhere to go to come in, I mean, come in and watch the telly, come in and play a game of chess with us. You know, we've other facilities there as well. So yeah, that's fine. kind of the way And doing great work. Well done to you. Uh, William, can I ask you then, tickets, I presume that you haven't sold out yet. Have you, anyone who's looking to go can still get a ticket? Yeah, we still have a limited number of tickets available and they're available for €25. They can be purchased in any of the participating uh, fashion outlets or here in the school um, as well. So there's going to be some tickets on the door uh, tomorrow night as well. As Brendan mentioned there, we've had a terrific partnership with the Snooker Club uh, leading up to this, but we've also been... uh, was very, very lucky to have the expertise of a uh, lady synonymous with fashion here in the town, Mary mm. Garrigan. She's going to be hosting the event for us tomorrow night. We have a special co-host in Michelle Fitzpatrick that uh, many of your listeners may be with. She'll be known as Michelle of the Lane yeah. on social media. And uh, Michelle is going to be there um, tomorrow night as well, uh, maybe judging some of our audience as well in terms of getting spot prizes for a most glamorous lady stylish handbag and funky shoes so on and all and there should be some prizes there for, for everyone I think tomorrow night Lovely and anyone who can't make it maybe tomorrow but does want to donate they can still do that too They can indeed yeah just details on the Facebook page of the New Institute Snooker Club and our own CBS Primary School Facebook page as well and we'd uh, be delighted to take donations from anyone that would be able to help us out oh, Well done lads we wish you all the best with it it's going to be a great night and William practice your walk now won't you? I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much, Alison. William and Brendan, have a great night. Thanks so much for uh, telling no us. No bother. Thanks very much. Thanks for having Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Yeah, big weekend of sport ahead of us this weekend, as you heard Shay mentioning during the ad break. And we'll go through it all with Johnny Luby when he's on with us tomorrow morning. But now it's time to talk farming. And Katrina Morrissey, Deputy News Editor for the Farmers Journal, joins me now. Good morning, Katrina. Good morning. Good to talk to you this morning. We're going to start with the story on the cover of the Farmers Journal this morning. And that's the news that Angus Bulls are to soar in the new beef ranking. 
Yeah, that's right. So this is the first um, major revision of the Irish Cattle Breeding Federation's indexes since 2016. Now, this is specifically in relation to beef breeds. And what's happened is that there's a, a, a bigger weighting being given to different traits in beef production. So there's a bigger emphasis this time on carbon efficiency, which is obviously part of the Climate Action Plan. There's a downgrading of the importance of carcass weight, which is uh, not particularly carbon efficient. And then there's also a, a reward, there's a better weighting given to short gestation, so shorter pregnancy length, and uh, bulls that are, have um, result in progeny that have very difficult calvings. They're being punished really in this new index. So what does that do? It changes altogether the bulls that are highest ranked in the beef index for both replacement and terminal indexes. We see uh, breeds like Belgian Blue, Charlie and Limousines, they're getting downgraded in general. And then the traditional breeds like uh, Aberdeen Angus and Hereford, their bulls are going up the rankings as a result. So um, what will this mean? It will mean that farmers, when they look at, say, you know, what bulls am I going to use on my uh, on my cows this year, they will be looking at a vastly different picture than what would have been in place before now. So, uh, as I say, an emphasis on reducing slaughter weight, meeting factory specifications, and then carbon efficiency. There's a carbon cost after being calculated into this index for farmers to choose their bulls from. And it's strange because the Belgian Blue then will lose its top spot. I mean, would that still be the most popular breed then, the Belgian Blue? So I suppose for the for the farmers who are breeding that really, really beefy animal, they they always love the Belgian Blue because it's got the double muscling gene. Yeah. You know, they're very impressive. They're they're very popular with um, the pedigree breeders who, you know, sort of show their cattle, you know, going down to Iverk show, you'll have some fabulous Belgian Blues on display. But from an economic point of view, and that's the point of these indexes, they are based on the return that you can get economically, um, these new indexes would suggest that farmers would be better off looking at the Hereford and the Angus than the um, than the Belgian Blues. Now, this is obviously all the choice of the farmer at the end yeah. of the day. He or she will pick what bull um, they use on the farm. But economically, these breeding values are, are changing. And as I say, those more continental type sires are losing out in some of the top spots. And then the traditional breeds are moving up. Interesting. Also in this week's journal as well, you have part two of that cocaine investigation. I mean, that hit national headlines last week, that story. I think a lot of people shocked by it. Yeah, it really did. Um, I suppose the 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 availability, the accessibility, and in some cases the acceptability of drug use is, you know, has moved out into rural areas in a big way. And this week's feature is about talking to um, some more of the addiction services, uh, the frontline services that deal with people with addiction, and also the counsellors who, in some cases, pick up the pieces afterwards. And there's a focus this week on, you know, how it affects the families of the person who has become addicted, and also how they recover, because there's a huge element of trust being lost um, you know where someone has been lying to cover up drug use maybe stealing to cover up their drug use to you know to pay for it so there's a very there's a big family fallout in that sense mm. and um, addiction treatment centres and counselling services like Ashiree and Care and Cunvera and Limerick really really important to help families be able to pick up the pieces yeah absolutely also good news uh, for beef exports as well in this week's edition yeah 
and my colleague Phil O'Neill has been looking at this. So very strong demand from the UK at the minute. Um, cattle, the same cattle uh, are about uh, sorry about a euro a kilo more expensive in the UK, which means that they're coming to Ireland to to buy those slightly cheaper animals. Overall, at the end of August, Irish beef exports were worth 1.74 billion, um, and that's up about uh, seven seventy thousand seven hundred thousand apologies for the first eight months of last year and that's despite a drop in the amount of beef. So um, the, the volume down but the value up um, and so far, you know, just, just a good news story I suppose in terms of exports. Farmers here will still would much prefer to see a higher price at the factory for their individual animals. Yeah. But in general, the performance is very good. That's Half good. of our beef obviously going to the UK which is a hugely important market for us. Absolutely. And then finally this morning, it might have been a bad summer in terms of weather, but it certainly helped the pumpkin crop, didn't it? Yeah, that's right. It's the, what is it, the silver cl- the silver lining yeah. to a dark cloud as regards the weather. So pumpkin growers, then I'm going to a pumpkin farm myself in two weeks' time Lovely. to pick them with the kids. Um, they've seen uh, the yield and the size of the individual pumpkins up about 20-25%. Wow. Why is that? It's because pumpkins love wet weather and we have had no shortage of wet weather. Um, so uh, we've we've spoken to, Rachel Donovan um, has spoken to a number of pumpkin farmers for this week's paper, um, but they're, yeah, they're happy. They're happy this year with the weather. I think pumpkin farmers and ducks. Yeah, enjoyed the summer and the current weather. What's interesting, though, even though the pumpkin farmers as well are saying that uh, the input costs as well of those for them have gone up, especially, of course, for fertilizers, still a huge issue. Yeah, fertilizer prices is obviously one of the biggest inputs on farms, feed mm. and fertilizer for animal farms and for um, for for plant growers and for, for any kind of tillage farmer or horticulture grower, it is fertilizer. And they, you know, we all know what happened last year with Ukraine. Mm. Prices absolutely trebled and quadrupled. They have fallen down, but they're still high compared to the long-term average. So when you're paying out for that, I suppose you're acutely conscious of what that does to the bottom line. And, and pump growers will need those those extra yields um, to to pay for that extra input cost. Yeah, absolutely. Katrina, great to talk to you as always. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks, Thank you. Katrina. That's uh, Katrina Morrissey there, Deputy News Editor for the Farmers Journal, now available uh, this morning in all good stores and all good shops around the county and around the country. That's it for this morning. Big thanks to Emma, who's on the phones, and for all your calls and texts. We're back with you again tomorrow morning from 9am, where the great Johnny Luby will be joining me just after 9. So tune in for that. Uh, Stephen is up next with the Time Tunnel. Owen then take you through the afternoon. Until tomorrow, have a great day. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.